Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah, it's Friday. I know you ain't got shit to do. Why don't you come talk combat with your two best friends in the world? This is it, the award-winning best damn combat sports show. I don't know, period. It's Morning Combat. I'm Brian Campbell, Friday, September 16th, 2022. The man you are looking at next to me, though, is really the, the secret weapon in this duo. He's a world-renowned fight analyst, and he has fired the hell up for this weekend's slate of combat action. Let me welcome and introduce Luke Thomas. Hey, what's up, everybody? Lots of good fights this weekend, actually. And finally, BC, it's a weekend where uh, the boxing is bigger than the UFC and by a pretty finally. considerable margin. Finally. Step one, open the box, right? Step three, put put your... Yeah, yeah we've, we've seen that skip before. Luke, I can't get my camera level, and it's it affected my emotional... Uh, my emotional imbalance today, okay? I'm I gotta sorry. Say your ca- I, don't, I don't know what you're worried about. Your camera looks pretty level to me. Well, thank you. And if, I'm sorry. I will say this. You look a little out of focus, though. Yeah, the, I, the, <laughs> my camera got mo- bumped into, and everything's turned into turmoil here. But beyond the you know the obvious. Luke, I had to take a blood test this morning, too, to check out my liver levels. You know, if this is my last show, we had a, we had a, we had a decent uh, what, run. What did though, the test but. show? Are you dying? Uh, well, we'll find out in a few days, all right? But uh, until then, Luke, I'm going to live like I'm dying. You better believe that. Uh, it's Triple G Canelo weekend, so get fired up. A must-see UFC fight night. Bantamweight main event. And how about, I don't know, like a show that just doesn't bang you like the other ones do. You can go to YouTube.com slash Morning Combat right now. Tons of bonus content, interviews with Canelo, Triple G, and more. Big-time breakdowns, all that good shit. Check it out. Uh, speaking, Luke, of our merch... You see this new piece of business right here? You could wear this at the corporate functions, the uh, the golf course, Luke. Picking up the kids, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We got great merch for you at morningcombat.store. And I think we've still got a 15% off offer for you today. You know Jay Paquette from Nova Scotia. How about you use his personal promo code so that we can give you 15% off anything on our site today. It's JP15. That's J-A-Y-P-15. Uh, RJ, where you at? Okay, because JP's coming for you. There you go. Uh, Luke, you want to sell anything else? Uh, Showtime.com is the label that pays. Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. Uh, a lot of folks asking me, BC, about what's going to happen with Paramount Plus because there are news reports. I mean, it's not us making this up. There are news reports. They've already kind of folded the service in into a larger bundle, but that like, I think the head of Paramount was like, "Hey, I, we may just sort of do away with the entire thing." I don't know what that means. I don't know what that uh, means. Either so. do I. I'm waiting to find out, Luke. I, you know, my corporate email's broken, so I haven't gotten any updated information on here. In fact, if you've emailed me about anything important, Luke, and you think I'm blowing you off, I'm not. Okay. Uh, you might be, but not from that address, certainly. Also, I've not been able to get my travel uh, expense report from July in because the system is still giving me that's issues. Great. So that's that's fun. great. That's We're just fun. two old guys with a lot of problems. That's a great show that we put out for the people. But, Luke, uh, when we're talking about the partners who help us get through the day to make it another day on this show, I think we got a new one to celebrate. Uh, that's right. We all want to turn back the clock and relive those glory days. Uh, for me, Brian... I would love to wake up every morning with zero brain fog, a clear mind to be as energized as when I was younger. 
But thanks to first person, it turns out I can take more active role in my brain's overall health. Yeah, uh, how about first person? An innovative cognitive supplement system which uses the medicinal benefits of, get this, mushrooms to activate the potential of human cognition and brain health. How about first that? Yeah, how about it? First person supplements made with functional mushrooms aim to stimulate neurotransmitters that trigger activities like energy, mood, and how about this one? Sleep. Yeah, first person uses 100% grain-free organic mushrooms. Tell them Rashad sent you, I'm sure, as well as a highly curated blend of nutraceuticals. How about that? Fantastic word from the dictionary. And no doubt about it, I'm personally looking forward to trying the Sunbeam supplement to help with motivation and focus. My goal is to be productive and attentive throughout a very long day. My goal is to have a balanced camera and be nice to my coworkers. But today, here's what you can do. You can start improving your brain health and your cognition with first person. Get 15% off your first order by going to getfirstperson.com. And don't forget about our discount code. That's combat with a K, bro. Yeah, right? All right. Again, that's G-E-T-F-I-R-S-T-P-E-R-S-O-N.com. Code morning, excuse me, code just combat, K-O-M-B-A-T, for 15% off your order. Get firstperson.com code combat look at us armed with all of these great things that can help us luke get back to where we need to be rather than waking up angry and with a tilted camera you know cheers i got mine as well how about that shout out to our our green friends there as well uh we want you to always win green on your bets so friday is where we give you the preview but we give you the hard and fast picks and let's start the show Right now, topic number one takes us to Las Vegas, a must-see trilogy between two all-time greats, Canelo Alvarez, Gennady Golovkin. This time around, all four super middleweight world titles still around Alvarez's waist will be on the line. The first fight of the series up at 168. Heck, it's the first fight of Gennady Golovkin's career at this weight class. What has changed in the four years since we saw Alvarez edge Golovkin in a disputed rematch? Well, a lot. We broke it down for you this week on Wednesday. You can check out my big brown boxing breakdown, big beige maybe, uh, as well if you want to in further in-depth. But today, we are just getting into what's going to happen in that squared circle between those ropes. zone pay-per-view, same arena, T-Mobile arena. Luke Thomas, I've done a lot of yapping this week about this fight. I have some key questions for you about where we are and where this fight is going to be going Saturday as things stand now according to Caesars minus 550 Canelo your favorite Gennady Golovkin who was the favorite in the first two a plus 370 underdog he's been right around that four to one uh in the whole build-up to this fight Luke this is the question Gennady's 40 in the four years since they fought, Canelo has gone on to win titles at 68, 75, become your pound-for-pound king, really looking superhuman until that humbling by Dmitry Bivol four months ago. What to you is what the thing we most need to look for to find out in rounds one and two here just how young Gennady might still be? Ooh. Um, a couple of things, I think. It was funny, Jonathan Banks, the trainer that you interviewed, which, by the way, you can catch at youtube.com slash morningcombat, had talked about, like, oh, well, we can just, you know, there are, it wasn't being this simplistic. But part of what he was saying was, we can look at what Bivol did to Canelo and take some of that, or actually what he, what he really said was, Bivol had taken some from Triple G and used it effectively. 
but it's sort of a reminder about what kind of works against Canelo and what doesn't. To me, if you want to see whether or not Golovkin still has the youth to really, the relative youth, to do a, to do a, to, to beat Canelo here, to get a winning performance, one, I want to look at his resiliency to body work and how much he can dissuade it, right? So how much does he get hit and hurt him? How much can he dissuade it? And then two, the jab. Part of the reason why Canelo was so successful in the second fight as opposed to the first is that Canelo had, he got away from it in certain parts of the fight, but certainly early, these were the two looks Canelo gave you. High hands here covering his guards so we could get close because uh, I think he had a bit of a reach disadvantage against Golovkin. And he was both jabbing himself and turning, right? He was also not taking huge steps away. He was kind of leaning out of the way, but then staying right in there so he could pressure Can uh, Golovkin backwards, or at least, you know, keep him on the edge. And then he was trying to take away the jab and counter the jab of a guy like Triple G. Those things, if those are back in place in this fight, and again, it was in place relatively early, although he got away from it a little bit in the middle parts of that fight. In the second time around, but uh, BC, that's really what I'm looking for. How much body work is there? How much of an effect does it have? How much does it deter or dissuade him? How much can he dissuade Canelo from throwing it? And what is the battle of the jab? Also, how much movement is Canelo giving away? Really, it all comes down to that. If Canelo is able to take center and not move away, it's hard for me to see exactly how Golovkin wins. However, if Golovkin is able to really put the jab in his face in a, in a more concerted way without being countered, if he's not getting hit with tremendous body shots, if he's so able to deliver his own, if for some reason... Like, here was one thing about the 68 campaign, and this was not universally true, but for example, it was true a little bit in some of the Caleb Plant fight and definitely in the Billy Joe Saunders fight. There were like several rounds where I wasn't... I'm not going to say Canelo was giving it away, BC, but he wasn't... Ex like. There were times when his opponents were able to mount offense for sustained periods. I, you know, I don't know how much of that he can really tolerate against Triple G, even at age 40. But those are the big sort of factors I'm looking at here. I know you're asking more specifically about Triple G, but I'm just thinking about generally the fight conditions. Let's see how those play out. No, I think you nailed it, and that's the big questions regarding Triple G's age. Hasn't lost since the second fight against Canelo. The only, obviously, blemishes, a, a loss and a draw on Triple G's entire career have come in this series, which is part of why you would need a third fight here because there's such a big love part of that population that loves Triple G, believes he got screwed by the system, and is just happy he's getting this chance right here. But even though he's 5-0 and since then, Luke, we've seen the physical decline. And I think at most centers around speed and obviously the quickness of his movements. Now, to be fair, Triple G has never been known as a defensive stalwart. It's almost impossible for him to be that when he has a style so heavy on coming forward, constantly cutting off the ring, always letting go, high output fighter. But for a destroyer, he was incredibly responsible. He's got great technique. He's got it came from an incredible amateur system. So, yeah, it does come down to like his success in the first fights by being the busier fighter, winning on the punch stats in terms of total punches landed, although obviously the judges don't get a chance to look at that. Uh, you want to see if he can maintain the success with the jab, which I think you can argue, Luke, unfortunately for him, was his only success. So here's my biggest fear for Golovkin and how his age might play into it, mixed with the, the fact that Canelo's not only a better fighter at 32 today, four years removed from fighting Triple G after moving up in weight, but look, I think Jonathan Banks nailed it on Wednesday. He's a different fighter. I mean, he walks people down, but to try to set up those perfect one-punch big-time counters, 
we're asking a lot of Triple G here because even in the best scenario for him in this rivalry, which was really the first fight, you know, and maybe the first half of the second fight, he has to be so heavy on the output because, Luke, I don't think he can hit Canelo with his right hand. And I know that sounds like crazy, but in the way that Triple G typically uses his jab against slower, not as effective opponents is, you know, part range finder, but always a weapon, but always looking to set you up when the moment's there for that big right hand. Even in fights one and two, Golovkin just couldn't find him with it, couldn't catch him. Anytime he set traps and corner Canelo, outside of that mid part in the first fight when Canelo got a little gassy between round, you know, rounds four and seven, outside of that, you didn't see Triple G having a huge advantage cornering and lighting up Canelo with power shots. And Canelo's upper trunk movement that we always talk about is so dynamic, possibly in you know correlation to the poor foot speed he had in the lower weight classes. If Triple G can't land the right hand to begin with in this rivalry, which is probably a big reason why he's sticking to the fundamentals and technique in that jab, now I'm starting to fear if he can land that jab as much, Luke. Because if you look at the punch stats from the first two fights through the idea of, okay, separate from corruption, what did the judges see? In the end, it mostly was, did you like the volume of Triple G's jabs better versus the clean power shots that Canelo was landing. Canelo had huge advantages in power punches landed in both fights, better percentages because he's more efficient, and he went to the body a hell of a lot more. So, Luke, I've got a lot of issues to the idea of if your Team Triple G just going out there and, you know, running the same offense, same way, same as it's always been, and you've already fought brilliantly in your younger body and came that close and got either jobbed or couldn't get over the hill... And now we're asking you to do the same exact thing. Is there a, a gateway, a bridge to get Triple G to a period of success separate from that? I feel like it has to be going to the body. And even though we're looking at the body as a big potential, even finishing target for Canelo here, because he's evolved since their two fights. I mean, he's a killer with that left hook down low. What about Triple G going to the body? He landed eight body punches in the first fight, six body punches in the second, and was almost exclusively a headhunter. Do you see any potential there where he can offset the lack of speed, try to make it more of a physical phone booth fight, and really capitalize on that? I actually think that the body punching in both directions is going to play a critical role, and for almost the same reason, although in slightly different ways. But the basic idea is this. If you're... Canelo, why would you want to go to the body? Well, one, we saw Murata. I thought, I thought, would you agree with this, BC? I thought Murata visibly hurt Triple G to the body. Where it, he, it got he, me nervous. It got me nervous. Yes. Like, you know, he yeah. was bending over like this in a way where he was trying to cover from the pain that in a ways that you don't typically see him do. So one, there might be some, you know, as he ages, some sensitivity around that. Murata is a, is a hard puncher to be very clear, but nevertheless, like to, to have him visibly hurt in that way. So one could just be a gateway for that but if you're trying to get a guy like Golovkin to be a lesser version of himself especially as he gets older draining him to the body will already put his output a little bit lower but it's the same consideration in reverse Canelo is how did Canelo win in the second fight I've already laid a bunch of reasons out but one thing we haven't talked about which will also be a factor here because this fight's at 168 Canelo in the second fight was much faster faster yeah. hand speed really putting some later as the fight went on some combinations together quick in and out right he was in front of him but when he extended it was quick in and out right you want to slow that guy down you want to bring his speed down and you want to bring that amount of volume he can put out you want to bring that down as well going to the body you would imagine would play a pretty significant role in that so in either direction whether it's because of age and sensitivity related reasons 
from durability, you want to go to his body to slow him down or to bring the vol overall volume down of a guy like Canelo. Neither, like I asked Boots Ennis, when would you like to, when, like when do you like to go to the body the most? And to him, it's to get a guy to stop from moving. That's yes. when he likes to go to the body. That's not really a major consideration here. Most of the time, these guys are right in front of each other, but the output, the durability, what they can give to the fight, you got to drain some of that. I do think body work will probably play a more prominent role, maybe in both directions, <clears throat> excuse me, certainly in one. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, and, and particularly, you know, Canelo's evolution, as I mentioned, to a body destroyer. Uh, I thought Triple G also got hurt to the body against Derevchenko, which was a great fight in 2019 at MSG, but I really think you go back and look at that, I mean, Triple G might have lost that fight. He might have got a little bit of a gift himself, but that was a busy, active fighter in front of him with somewhat of the same, you know, stance and in, in, in height and weight as, as Canelo really going down low and slowing Triple G down. But on that flip side, Luke, I, I really want to echo a point I made briefly on Wednesday that I think is true. Heading into that second fight, we all believed Triple G got screwed, but we were all saying to ourselves, to, if you couldn't leave no doubt on the judges the first time around, Adelaide Bird's separate conversation, 118-110, will be sprayed on the walls of, of Hell's jail cell for years, Luke, with, you know, underneath, call me for a good time. Uh, but... The other guys had it pretty damn close, too. So I think it comes down to, in this regard, we said coming to the second fight, if Triple G doesn't go to the body, like, you're missing out. You're just leaving off the table a potential great opportunity. Luke, he landed less body shots in the second fight, six. Then he directly fired Abel Sanchez after that. And a lot of people thought, hey, look, you profess this Mexican style. Abel Sanchez taught you... The Mexican style is being like Chavez, right? And, and bending over and going down low two or three times and absorbing whatever else back you have to. Triple G simply did not do that in the first Canelo fights, and it ended up being his detriment in the second, I believe, because Canelo had that energy and that surge to walk him down in the second half of that fight. And really, when you're the judge is going, I know Triple G's landing more volume, but I gotta like Canelo's power shots more, the body shots on top of that just further help embellish that argument. And right now, separate from Triple G's body just falling apart and him getting stopped to the body, there's a great chance, in my opinion, that does go, that this does go another 12 rounds, that we go to that 36th round. So if you're Triple G, man, you got to get off of the definition of insanity and you got to do something. Luke, I made the argument on the breakdown show that we also need to see a physical, if not dirty, Triple G. I know that's so easy to say. Do you actually think, knowing him a bit, that that's possible for him? Because he is, you know, the perfect upstanding gentleman and has the amateur background. I would love to, to, to tell, you know, for you to tell me that you've been talking to his camp and they're going to lead with the elbows and they're going to do grimy shit to make this a war. Look, he might actually need to do that. Like, if he doesn't, this fight's another, you know, eight round of four decision. I don't know if he has that in him. You know, I think that, like, I saw um, Fight Hub TV ask him about the fact that the judges are going to be the same from the second fight. Now, the second fight, I think, was much better judged than the first, whatever views you might have. I don't know that most folks think that the second fight was as badly judged as the first. I thought Canelo deserved to win the second, and he did. But what I would say is, in this case, like, when he answered that question, he answered it in a way where... I think Triple G wants to succeed on Triple G's terms. You nailed he it. He wants to win in the way that he has done everything to this point. You disagree? No, I said you nailed it. You uh, nailed the problem right now, Luke. So what do you so what do you make of that? You agree that like the, my my sense in Triple G is he wants to beat him 
and he wants to claim this moment under like not just his abilities but like he doesn't want a handout he doesn't want a shortcut he doesn't want an easy way i'm sure he wants to get over on canelo in the worst way possible but he i don't know if he can bring himself to be like elbowing and you know biting on well, ears and everything it, else you nailed it part of it is just maybe like a stubbornness that says I had great success against him the first times already with his style. I know this is the best style to give trip or to give Canelo issues. And by the way, it is. If you are, you know, strong enough and you've got an accurate quick jab and you can keep that in his face and you got a great chin. I mean, it's rare to find this this you know in that regard. But Luke, I, I think that's to a problem, to a fault he carries that. What I mean is Dude, that Danny Jacobs fight, we got to be honest, was really damn close at MSG in 2017. He dropped Jacobs early. It looked like it was going to be a, you know, a knockout. And Danny Jacobs, for his credit, bit down, came back and landed some bombs. Do you know what I hated about that fight, which I scored a draw at ringside, was I didn't see Triple G in the second half find any level of urgency that says, look, this fight's probably closer than it should be right now. You know, I might need another knockdown just to leave no doubt. Look, it was the same Jab, jab. I mean, it was the same thing. And, dude, it was the same thing in both Canelo fights, even though I scored both for Triple G. I thought the plan actually worked. But I didn't see that that extra flip of the switch. He's got that flip when he's got you hurt. Triple G is a menace when it comes to getting people out of there with, you know, frightening combinations or one big shot, all that. But is that stubbornness, Luke? Is it ignorance? What is it where we just haven't seen Triple G in close fights? Dervinchenko, he was more active late, but still, he got hurt late in that fight. I don't see that as part of his personality. So if I'm asking him to fight dirty on the inside, I'm also really saying I'm going to need you to go for broke. He doesn't necessarily ever do that, right? No, I think he... No, I don't think he does that at all. He 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 doesn't have a little bit of that Tyson Fury kind of flexibility. In, in style, flexibility in approach, flexibility in 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 his mindset, uh, his mind frame, so to speak, heading into this contest. He has what he believes is the better skill set, and he wants to bring that to bear. And again, I think he wants to sort of set an example, like you can do things the, the proper way, whatever that means to him. Um, I think he sees a certain nobility in his style, a certain professionalism, and a certain, uh, obviously, devastation in his style as well. And so for all those reasons, it just seems to me like when he talks about what he wants to do and what his aims are, they have to be done under, yes, what he can do and the principles that undergird that, which he sort of sees as like, you know, I don't know if gentleman's boxing is the right way to put it, but um, again, a certain kind of professional approach that he sees as superior to the other ones i think to him some guys see like oh you got to get dirty in the clinch and they're like that's just another tool i can add i think he sees that as a departure from his vision of himself and okay. for that reason he can't really seem to go to those places because i've made a lot of my analysis heading into this fight about what golovkin needs to do but that's there's a reason for that right he's the now the heavier underdog he's the older guy who we're really asking him to do herculean things here but part of the romanticism of, of playing that up was the constant comparisons you see the boxing hardcores and me alike making to Marquez Pacquiao 4. There is a difference in temperament from, you know, Juan Manuel Marquez to Triple G, as we just mentioned. You know, Juan also, Luke, if we're being fair, went to the top of uh, Pharmacy Mountain, you know, and, and conquered it, right? I mean, he, he really conquered it. But... To the credit of this idea of this third fight potentially, potentially being just wildly different, like Pacquiao Marquez 4, which was a brawl. It was a brawl. An angry brawl in some ways. 
not sloppy, right? But an angry brawl was that shocked the shit out of us, right? Now you had to have a Marquez who was willing, and he was. But you know, when he dropped Pacquiao in round two, that was like, oh my god, I don't think I've ever seen Pacquiao get dropped before. This is wild. Um, Canelo's not you know, 37, 38, where Pacquiao was at that point, even though Manny was still like number two pound for pound. Does Triple G need to catch him with something big or it's, you're not, you're not going to win this fight after that early. Like, does he have to drop him early? Like, what does he have to do, Luke? Because I think, I I don't, I don't think any punctuated moment is going to be enough. It has to be consistent. You know, not every round, obviously that's impossible. Canelo's going to get his pound of flesh. But honestly, if you're going to beat him, you got to beat him for the most part early, for the most part in the middle, and for the most part down the stretch. He (laughs) just has to be better for longer, much longer periods of the entire duration of the bout. I I just don't see... I mean, again, knocking Canelo down could be decisive, right? It could be really big. But I just feel like if he's hoping I'm going to win the first six or something like that, it's not enough. Every round he has to go in there and do his absolute goddamn best. And just a reminder, guys. Clearly better. Yes. Canelo has never been down as a pro. Got wobbled visibly like once against Miguel Cotto's older brother a long ass time ago. I I do believe that, like, like I think Canelo's right at the mountaintop of his prime. You know, he was just the, you know, just the pound for pound king. He's still mine. He's 32. But because he started so early, Luke, we do have to be under the possibility that he's you know deeper down the 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 beginning of the decline not that it's going to fall off the side of the cliff but a natural decline then maybe we want to because we just watched him be a superhero the last couple years but (coughs) but yet even at 32 luke i mean he's not only never been down dude he's walking down light heavyweights with big shots he knocked sergey kovalev the hell out i know kovalev was old and a little chinny but but you get the point Canelo is not only younger and more in his prime, he is a much more dangerous and different fighter since the beginning of their series. So, Luke, we established that going to the body, not just early, but pretty much often and and all the time would be a great plan for Canelo because it's probably the only way you can really hurt Triple G and you can certainly pull on that gas tank and wear him down and make him feel old. What else should be Canelo's game plan, mindset, or, or maybe something to watch out for as this fight develops? Because... Triple G will always have the power, and he's always going to have that, that you know, old, old legend's got that one more great performance left, right? I don't know how much he's got left in that cup, but if we can get him to pour it out, Canelo does have to be careful. How does he do it the second half of this fight? Yeah, the other part has got to be taken away, Triple G's jab. I mean, everything flows from that. He is a much different, a significantly different fighter if he can't really build attacks or volume behind the jab. Um, Canelo, on the other hand, probably is a somewhat diminished version of himself, but I think he can still get the, the job done without necessarily being able to land his jab all that consistently. Now, whether that's true against Triple G is a slightly different matter, but I'm speaking in generalities here. To me, the jab is critical, critical for Triple G. It really is the centerpiece of his offense. It is the nucleus. Everything comes from that. And so to the extent you can, for example, as we mentioned, go to the body to deter it, he has to basically take it away. Now, what does that mean? That means you could block it so it doesn't land. That means you could slip it and counter it so that he has to think twice before using it. It could mean that you hurt him to the body so he's not as willing to throw. All of these things work in tandem to then diminish the output and the effectiveness and the functional value of the jab. But that is job number one of Canelo, countering countering a guy like 
uh, Triple G without, you know, without making use of countering the jab is just very, very difficult to do. If his jab is pumping, so many other things are working in conjunction with it. And it doesn't take much for him to get going, by the way. A 30-second uh, period where the jab begins to work and all of a sudden he lands, you know, some kind of thudding uppercut or difficult body shot himself. He really doesn't need a whole lot of space to get that thing rolling downhill, so to speak. So, to me, it's absolutely taking that away. And the other part was from the second fight. I go back to it again. What you'll see him do is he had a bit of a wider stance at, at times, which would enable him to lean his weight onto his back foot, but not take a bunch of steps away. He didn't have to majorly circle out and then give ground to Triple G. Triple G is also a significantly different fighter when he is being backed up versus doing the backing up. Now, sometimes that is yeah. an overstated phenomenon in combat sports. You often see people overstate the value of that. But in Triple G's case, a guy who from the jab backs opponents up, puts their backs on the ropes, and then does ungodly things to him, those two things have to be taken away. The jab and the forward movement. You must, you must counter them. 100%. And which brings up an diff interesting question here, if that does happen. All these scenarios where we want to romantically activate this old superhero George Furman version of Gennady Golovkin was hitting the roadblocks of our perceived, you know, his stubbornness, his his one-track mind in that regard. Look, Luke, not much separates the, the greats from the all-time greats, but Canelo's ability to make the adjustments he did in the second fight and being willing to take on the toll of those punches to do so is the difference in this series, maybe just as much as now the age difference. But Triple G has yet to show that. So we're going to give him the opportunity in fight three and say, are you really that guy? Right? Because this is this is your moment. You know, you can almost fix, you can fix all the divots in the road. And Triple G's had one and a half of them, right? The draw and the loss. You can fix it all with a, with a Tom Brady win here. There's no question about that. But Luke, what if his plan A, which is such, which is everything to him, does get taken away early. Let's say in the first three, four rounds, Canelo is accurately countering off of that jab so hard that Triple G is now lowering his output. I don't think he could get to that point on his own willingly to activate the let's go for broke. But if he gets hurt and we're not even into the second half of this fight, will a fight or flight instinct happen? And if it does, does that is that the romantic opening for him to have this Marquez four, you know, moment of hurting Canelo and pulling himself back into this fight? Does does Canelo have to take him there? Meaning, can Canelo have too much success here in the first half where he can end up walking into something big, Luke? I do think that, I mean, um, you know, I don't know what you make of it, and I know what folks are going to say, oh, sour grapes and this, that, and the other. But you were listening, I was listening to Ryan Garcia talk about this fight. And again, take that very much with a grain of salt. But one thing he did say that does seem at least worthy of thinking about more was that he said Canelo looks unusually angry and unfocused. Now, how unfocused he looks, I don't know. But he does look unusually angry. I would say even I, he just seems way more dismissive than even the second time they fought. I don't think he wanted this fight. I don't think he feel like he needs it. And I, I think to your point that you raised, you know, a lot of times on this show, I think he fucking hates Triple G's guts in a way that he, don't <laughs> think he hates anybody else's. I mean, he truly... Just can't stand the guy. If he does have success and if he does let his guard down, and you saw this like around five of the second fight when he began to look get away from his own jab a little bit, which was a bit of a problem for him. You know, does he open up a window where uh, Triple G can then walk through by being somewhat undisciplined, by taking risks, by not having as focused a game as he needs to? 
certainly seems worthy of taking seriously, but it's just hard to know what to make of that, BC. Like, what's he going to walk into? Another jab? Canelo, well, yeah, you know, Canelo it, has shown a legendary chin as well. It's hard to hurt him. The thing is, if he comes in too over-aggressive looking to make a huge statement, which I do think is in play here, that's when the big right hand of Triple G, which would need to be timed and all that, particularly from a wounded animal stance here to surprise him. But here's the deal. I did have the questions at the beginning of this week of, does Canelo actually have the right motivation to go out there and, and not you know fall into a trap? I, I was impressed, Luke, I had that very short interview with him that you can check out on our YouTube channel. I was impressed, though, that he did seem to show me, like, hell yeah, I want this. And, and you know, even though it is business, it's still freaking personal to me. You know, that's what he paraphrasing more or less said to me in his own way. Does that is there an opening there where he will feel over anxious because of this? Look, look, you got to be honest here. OK, Canelo is a competitor, right? He goes after big opportunities like the greats have done. Um but we just watched him get humbled. I mean, it would almost be better in some cases, like if he got knocked out going up to light heavyweight. But he didn't. He he got out-handled and out-pointed and, and out-strategized and everything. I know like the physical differences ended up playing a huge part. Canelo hit his ceiling against Bivol. But he also kind of got humbled. It was 7-5 in all three scorecards. But if we're honest, Luke, that's like a nine rounds to three fight. I mean, Bivol, mm -hmm. he did that shit, right? Mm -hmm. How much... Is that going to mix with the vitriol that's already there for Triple G? Where, where Canelo might have a chance of, if, if not imploding, because he's too much of a you know a professional and a great, getting too close to that fire where we get an entertaining pocket of, of uh, good times and great oldies that we've come to know in this series. And you know that over-anxiousness and, and attitude allows Triple G a moment or two that's when that's what I'm gonna get out of my chair, Luke. Okay, that's when I'm gonna need another room for the for the for the boxing erect that's about to break out. Can I can I sit here and dream because I love this series and these two so much? Is the old can the old guy find a hole there with Canelo's mindset, Luke? Tell me it's possible. I think it's possible. It's just for me, BC. Here's the part where it's like, again, you asked earlier, what is Triple G's really best path to victory? How does he actually do it? And to me. It's round one to round 12, sustained effort, sustained effort. You're talking about them trading in certain places by virtue of overcommitment, exuberance, the tide turning, and all those things could play a role. But Triple G's really tried to avoid that throughout the duration of his career. I think Canelo might invite that a little bit more, but I think Triple G has largely tried to avoid that. He tries to fight very much on his terms not somebody else's. And so for that, re or even 50-50 circumstances, if he can avoid it. And so for that reason, it's kind of, you know, for a guy with all these knockouts and for a guy with this like fearsome reputation, which is well-earned, you know, maybe this is overstating it a little bit, BC, but some ways, Triple G is a slightly conservative fighter in certain ways. Yeah. I just don't think he courts risk in the way you're talking about. Whereas Marquez, for example, against Pacquiao... He was ready to a court risk there. I mean, he was very ready for it. I just don't know if Triple G is that kind of guy. Yeah, and that's funny because Jonathan Banks, when I brought it up to him, was just sort of said, no, we need G to be emotionless. That's when he's at his best. Yeah. But that's when he's at his best carrying out plan A. You're going to need plan B here. It's going to have to get emotional because when Canelo fights with emotion, which we've seen a little bit at times, like he's he's got that... He's got that fuck you to him, right? Canelo's a badass. Let's be fair here, all right? Mm -hmm. he, he's got that side of him that wants to shut you the hell up and deliver that blow. So I think that's going to be there. If Triple G can't match that, 
you're not going to win in this case with your jab game. We established that. But I don't know. It's like I want to romantically compare it to Marquez Pacquiao 4. I also want to compare it to Wilder Fury 3. Not the same situation, not the same fighters, different temperament, everything like that. But we didn't think that one was maybe going to be all that competitive. And, you know, Deontay Wilder got off the deck and dropped Fury twice. So sometimes you stumble into exactly what what you hope to in this game when two people know each other so well, when there are heightened emotion, emotions, which they are in this case. So I think even separate from those betting lines being wide and the historic elements, just to see two guys who hate each other and have been each other's perfect dance partner, just to see them do it one more time, man, I am fired the hell up. Luke Thomas, it's time to make the exact pick, all right? We talked about the odds. There's money to be made for our consumers on this fight. How and when is this one over and who's standing there? I think Canelo wins. I think he wins via decision. And I think it's a clean sweep on all three judges' scorecards. Before it was a draw... Then it was a, what was a majority or no seriously it was a split right split draw and majority split, decision yeah majority decision excuse me yes because he still had a draw on the second one or one of the judges I think this time he gets it done much more cleanly I think he does I don't think he drops triple G I don't think it's like you know a huge route but I think at this point it's the kind where it's like there's no doubt just who is better at this point in time and again like thirty two versus forty if they're roughly equal in ability. A 32-year-old guy shouldn't lose to a 40-year-old guy. It just shouldn't really happen, especially at this level when their when their abilities are you know commensurate but slightly you know they're 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 pretty they're pretty evenly matched I think by and large. But there's just a huge youth uh, difference. By the way, we haven't talked about it yet. Can we talk about it very quickly, BC, before we go to final predictions and move on? What do you make of it being at 168 versus uh, standard middleweight? And the reason why I bring that up is Canelo looked so fast in the second fight. He looks a little naturally a little slower at 168 do you see that as an opening for triple g who also has to come up and wait here too yeah that that is interesting because as much as we want to like make the apples to apples bivol and golovkin game plan comparison bivol's a natural light heavyweight and i know he, he said he can make 68 but he's a real deal 175er golovkin's a career middleweight who's never gone up so it's really canelo who went from being the smaller boxer to start this series to now being even with the height and reach disadvantages the 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 bigger man, almost the bigger puncher, almost. Because, I mean, we've seen Canelo, you know, bury guys to the body. He's becoming a legitimate knockout threat. But, yeah, old guy, young. What was the exact nature of that question, Luke? I wanted to, I wanted to slam The fact it. that it's 168, not 160. Yeah, so there's two reasons in my eyes. One, it, it is a nice trinket for anybody saying, why are we doing this fight a third time, that it's the first fight in this weight class and it's for the Undisputed Championship. So that's a nice crown you put on top of royalty already. But, Luke, let's be fair. Uh, Canelo only fought at middleweight one time in the eight fights since the, these two last fought. It was two fights after the the second uh, fight with Golovkin. He he first he knocked out Rocky Fielding, and then he had that close decision-ish fight with Danny Jacobs, who's a very big middleweight. I don't think Canelo can make 60 easy anymore at this age, and I also think, you know, he's the A-side in this, and he didn't even want this fight so, you know, fuck you. I'm not cutting down a 60 for your old ass Triple G, right? You're going to do things my way on my terms. So how will that affect the fight, though? I mean, could that aid in? Because, look, I'm, what's my prediction? It's the same thing as yours. It's the third straight decision, and it's going to go to Canelo this time again. It's going to be the widest of the three. And I think he might, you know, slow down. and Like, Triple G is going to have early success with the jab. He's going to get beat up in the middle, and he may even look old late. But the real question that we've been kind of trying to birth here 
is can he at least have moments? Can he, you know, have a chance? Can he find the light, you know, at the door? Does it open just enough for him to find that light and, and remind us of what this series used to be? Yeah, I think that's possible. Will not having to cut down as far help him? Yeah, in this case, Luke, I wonder if the weight thing overall could end up helping Triple G a little bit more. But I don't think it'll play a factor, though. We'll have to see. Again, I have no clue. Something to pay attention to. I wonder what it will do for speed. I wonder what it will do for gas tanks later on in the fight. Again, that also is a function of to what extent they go to the body. Just something to pay attention to tomorrow night. Absolutely. Uh, there we go. So, Triple G, if you're not going to be willing to dramatically change the game plan or be forced to based on, you know, a lack of success... Um, you're going to find out what insanity is. But I wish them both well. I've loved covering both guys, Luke. I love this rivalry. It's as good as it gets, you know, in boxing, even if we have a later model version this time around. But, uh, Luke, don't forget Jesse Bam Rodriguez is in that Coleman event against Israel Gonzalez, and he is uh, coming on in those lower lower weight classes as somebody to watch. Uh, Gabe Rosado back on there again, Luke. That guy, have fight, will show up, and, and give you a good, honest effort for it. Um, indeed. Big tattoo guy, too, Luke. He had, like, the, the woman on the neck a long time ago, Gabriel Rosado. You you a big fan of that guy? Uh, I like Rosado. I'm not sure how much I love getting, you know, tattoos like that. But um, Okay, okay. Oh, know. Luke, I, w I wanted to shout you out here because we're, we're going to slide in now to the UFC Fight Night breakdown. Um, You showed me your new tattoo, and, you know, I, while I don't know shit about shit, that was very impressive, both the, uh, the, te the technique... It's actually pretty, it's kind of cool, Luke. It makes you look like a badass dad, so, you know. Yeah, well, I'm definitely go. not a badass dad, but again, shouts to Ryan Clark over at District Tattoo. I'll show it off when it's, it's. Uh, you can kind of see a little bit here. Um, it's still peeling and everything, so I'm, I'm trying to take as good care of it as I can, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a look later for folks. All right, let's give this one a look. It's going to go down in Las Vegas as well. It's UFC Fight Night. It's Corey Sanhagen versus Song Yudong, and uh, wow, what a great Bantamweight matchup. We... When Ham on Wednesday is, you know, Corey coming or going at the very elite level. Well, you know, we're going to find out here. Song Yudong, an incredible riser of late, has really seemed to put it together, but he's still only 24. Biggest opportunity, Luke, he'll be a betting underdog, according to Caesars, plus 160. Sanhagen, minus 190. Now we get to talk about what this fight looks like. How do, how do you want Corey Sanhagen to start here? He's got something to prove for sure. Um... Same, you know, same as it ever was in terms of his game plan, Luke, and how he's going to try to keep that distance? Well, the worst thing, I mean, not that Corey has changed trainers or something like that. That's not what I'm suggesting. But let's, let's, let's uh, think of a fighter who has changed camps, maybe even somewhat early on into their you know, uh, UFC run or something like that, and then they begin to change up their style. The best way to get the most out of someone is to keep who they are at their core and then to change the parts of that style that are, you know, most deficient, right? That's really, I think, the best thing. is like when someone tries to completely change a fighter, that's when they just don't really get the best out of them. Fighting is very much about sort of internal personality and strategic preference. And you go away from that a lot, you're going to get problems. So I don't think he has to change a ton. We talked about some of the things on Saturday. In many ways, this is not a fight that Sanhagen should lose. Now, I don't say that because Song Yudong is some kind of easy guy to beat. Far from it. Uh, in fact, this is going to be in the apex, which means it's in the smaller cage, which means that forward pressure from Yudong is going to be something that is um, a, a difficult challenge, I think, for any fighter to face. And this obviously the case this, uh, is Corey Sanhagen. But here's what give, gives me a little bit of reason for optimism for Sanhagen. You go back and look at the Kyler Phillips fight. 
against Song Yudong. Like, how was he able to win that? One, he was moving constantly. Two, he was able to intercept the pressure. Three, he was able to mix up his strikes. A lot of times, different stances. A lot of times, different looks. And then changing up what came from that same look, including a right head kick over the top, which caught Song Yudong a few times, actually. I think one time in the second round, it nearly put his lights out. Um, it was the, And then mixing up his wrestling a little bit, which, by the way, you saw Sanhagen do to some degree against Jan. That's a fight... Corey Sanhagen should win. Um, that's a fight Corey Sanhagen can win. And I think a guy who, like him who can move as well as he can move, who can put out as much volume as he can put out, who can mix up his strikes, and if he can clean up the parts of his game where he, like a lot of times he'll get taken down and then he'll immediately go for a leg lock, which just adds to, I mean, yes, he tore up TJ Dillashaw's knee. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But more commonly what you end up seeing him do is the leg lock doesn't work. He stays underneath. He takes a pounding. The other person is able to, over the course of time, establish a dominant position. I think giving stuff like that up needs to be sort of first order. Um, not letting someone get behind him and put their locked hands together and then mat return him and everything like that. Right? A lot of times he'll sort of overcommit and then turn his back to a degree. And that can give him, not like Tony Ferguson, but you know, just not putting himself in a position to... Um, effectively stop it and also if you're going to be backing up a guy's going to be having forward pressure Corey Sanhagen has those intercepting knees which he showed against Frankie Edgar he uses them all the time he used them against TJ Dillashaw they landed there less so against Jan although I think even one of those landed late in that fight so he's got all the tools to win this fight Song Yudong obviously has big power he's very athletic but he does have that come forward style and I don't think he's going to set up enough feints or put enough volume on there by the way remember Sanhagen also has a really good chin like, what's going to deter Sandhagen? The guys who have beaten him are the ones who have, by the way, beaten up his legs. I think that's a part. Like, like how did TJ Dillashaw really do his best damage? It was controlling. Well, that was how he won, I should say. Controlling with the body lock and then different setups from there. But the other part was just assassinating his leg kicks. Corey Sandhagen kind of countered that a little bit by going to leg kicks in the Yawn fight. But that's something you have to pay attention to there as well. Still, getting back to it, BC, really at its core... A guy who is as capable of volume striker and mover and guy who can mix up his strikes in the way that Sanhagen does. This should, and has a good chin. This should be his fight to lose. Yeah, I, I actually fully agree on like, I wouldn't actually change that much. I mean, a lot of people thought he beat Dillashaw and it really comes down to the rule set and how you want to, you know, assess impact and control and everything there. Uh, damage as well. I would, you just want to, I don't know, you, basically you described you want to see him set boundaries better, Luke, okay? That's what my therapist is trying to work out with me, so, you know, Sanhagen, I'm with you on that regard, but, uh, yeah, he's got to, I mean, he's got to avoid situations where he can fall into major self-imposed mistakes or traps, so, Luke, I get the feeling here that, that neither guy really is looking at offensive wrestling at all in the game plan. Would you echo that or tell me I'm a filthy cash? I think you might see some from Sanhagen, dep depending on how things are going. Like, if he's lighting him up on the feet, no. But I, you, he, he did mix it up somewhat in the Jan fight. Somewhat in, that, here's the thing, though, somewhat inadvisably. Like, one time I think he shot a double and he got it, then he tried it again without a setup, and then Jan was able to stuff it and then immediately turn the corner and take his back. Like, shit like that he has to really avoid. But, yeah, you might, Kyler Phillips was able to do it against Song Yudong as well. Like, you might be able to see that kind of a thing. It's not like that... Like, he's got some major weakness there, to be clear, or that he got beaten up once he got put on the ground. It's not really that. But a guy who's going to bring that forward pressure all the time, what do you want to do? You want to keep that off of you. You want to you make him second guess. You want to you wanna weaponize his pressure against him. Mixing in the occasional double as he's driving into you, 
that could be very effective. Remember, it's a lot harder to take someone down uh, when they're backing away from you if you want to shoot a double into them, right? You want to meet that pressure. It makes it easier to wrap up with them and then to deliver them to the mat. So, yeah, I do think you might see some of that, especially if it goes the full five rounds and it's close. But if, if Sandhagen is able to stick and move in the way in which he hopes, then probably not. Although one note about Corey Sandhagen that should be noted here and watching him on tape, uh, one thing that could get him in trouble is, uh, and, and Jan was able to like sniper his way around this. I don't know what Song Yadong is exactly going to do. But he does a lot where he'll like switch stance and then poke at you and then just kind of put a jab in your face and then put something hard behind it. But he stays in range when he does that a long time. And sometimes he gets drilled for it. I wonder, I wonder like how clean and quickly are his entries and exits in this contest. I think that will actually be a big a big component of either victory or loss. Yeah, and I mean, look, if Stan Higgins can hurt him with a big strike and he's been known to launch ones you don't see coming, creative ones, that's when he's going to take him down and go for that submission, Luke, and get this thing the hell over with. Luke, I can't figure... I thought I had a Randy Couture vibe going with this look, but it looks more Rogan-esque, right? Like, you're not sure if I'm going to bust your table or call the next pay-per-view? No, you definitely look like an extra on the set of Peaky Blinders. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, Luke, do you... You know, Corey Sandhagen's got a cool nickname, but I don't think there's anyone that calls him the Sandman, though. Is that... That's accurate. I... Not commonly. Not commonly, right? Yeah. I mean, for it's a great... He's got a... You know who he should get? He should... You know, like, Mike Perry broke the rules in the fourth wall. He brought Coach Latore in, and it changed the way we look at corners to be fair what about bringing in ecw hall of famer the sandman himself luke remember that absolute piece of shit in the zubaz pants with the kendo stick smoking cigarettes drinking busting himself open luke that was a legend yeah i don't know who that is you don't know the sandman from ecw are you kidding me no but here's here's the one question i have for you what i no i don't remember these fucking guys i don't i I, you know i wasn't watching that shit I, I wanted to be him many for many years of my life. Look, still trying. Uh, BC, if you were advising Song Yudong to have a nickname, and here's the catch: the nickname has to go between Song and Yudong. So it's Song whatever Yudong. What do you give? What's his nickname? Oh, God. <laughs> I feel like I could get in trouble in a few different ways here, Luke. I, this may be one of those where I uh, where I abstain here, Luke. What, like, what why you... is your nickname Big Ass? Oh, yeah. Big Ass Yudong. That's it. <laughs> Um, yeah, Luke, if he breaks through Song Yudong and wins this, I mean, holy shit, he's, he's like a, a title contender tomorrow, is he not? Yeah, he wins this, uh, he's on his way. Uh, this would be, I mean, the, the, it's, it, what's interesting is that the odds are close, Corey Sanhagen minus 190, as you indicated, Song Yudong at plus 160, very, very close contest, and yet, the consequences of a loss or a win, or I should say the, uh, the after effect of one, would be enormous, right? So if Sanhagen wins, I guess he kind of keeps position and then, you know, undoes some of the damage of the recent losses. If he loses, that would really be bad, right? It's one thing to lose to guys who have all held the title, right? Okay, that's one thing. But Song Yudong is not that guy. He's still very young. Was he 24 years old, 25 years old, something like that? So you're losing to a guy who is not of that level and certainly hasn't proven to be of that level and has been defeated by guys not of that level. To lose to him, even as good as he is, would be a massive problem for Sandhagen. Conversely, for Song, Jesus Christ, bro, that would be really big for him. That would launch him into that top five space, and I don't think he would look back after that. It would be a massive, massive upset in, the, in just, that sense. Not by odds, but by position. 
for sure. I, I I don't know. Like looking at it just macro wise, it's like in terms of the directions they could go, the career arcs. I feel like it it does. You know, Song Yudong is going to have a great performance. He's going to have moments. He's going to be in this fight, but it does feel like Corey Sanhagen's time to remind all of us who he is. Uh, Song's still twenty four in, in that regard. Um, I hope he gets it done, Luke. I mean, like, you know, I don't want to say stupid things like, is he the Bantamweight, you know, uh, version of uh, of Dan Hooker? That's, you know, it's disrespectful to say that. It also means that you're somebody who gave really hard fights to the best fighters in a great era in your division. But, dude, Sanhagen's gone deeper, too. You think that factors at all? Song has fought a five-round fight in China in 2017, but has never, you know, gone past three in the five years since, do you like Sanhagen better in the later rounds here? Um, yes, I do. I think he's got much better experience. I thought the fifth round against Jan was actually pretty good. Um, he's fought much better guys in much tougher positions. Yes, he absolutely should be better down the stretch. If he's not, that would be a bit of a problem. As much as I give um, his opponent credit for his improvement, we're talking about a very different level of experience in the much deep, I mean, the deepest waters the division has to offer. Basically, championship rounds against guys who've held the title like doesn't come much more difficult than that, quite frankly. And while he has left, found himself wanting in general, not in total. And so, for those reasons, you would imagine Sandhagen, who, by the way, has good cardio too. We haven't talked about that. Very good cardio. Should be very ready for this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, he should be better to, over in that space. Mm -hmm. And look, song's great. He's rising. He's getting better each fight, but it, like he just lost the you know pretty pretty open you know clear cleanly to Kyler Phillips over three rounds in 2021. So I had a lot of people reaching out to us going, "You guys need to realize that like he already kind of got solved recently." Well, look, he responded perfectly, but that gap in experience could end up playing a very big role. Obviously, particularly in the later rounds. Luke, I like Sanhagen here. I don't know, man. I kind of like a finish as well, Luke. I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling extra spicy. Uh, you know what I mean? I don't know if, if it, like, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, Luke. But there's a clairvoyant, spicy feeling here, ghost pepperish, that Corey Sanhagen's going to get a submission here and look spectacular. You know, after going through, you know, a little bit of obvious ish in the beginning, um, Mr. Sandman, right? Bring Corey me a Sanhagen dream. Corey Sanhagen likes to do the majority of his work with his hands. But I actually feel like his kickboxing is somewhat underutilized, and I think that's going to be the difference maker here. I think kicking, maybe kneeing, but I think actually kicking and kicking range is where he's going to uh, find the fight. Fight. I think he, if he does find a fight ending sequence, it will start from there. Dude, if he get if he wins and, and finishes him under this setup here, and there's a very close fight odds wise and ability wise in many ways. Uh, Dude, I mean, the Aljo rematch for the title, if that's the guy still standing, uh, I, he's not going to be far from that. How far away, though? I don't think one win against a guy. Where is where is Song Yudong ranked as it currently stands? Um, he is currently ranked as it stands at 135 pounds at 10. Sanhagen at 4. See, you got Marab up there. You've got Cheeto. No, he'd have one more. He'd have one more. I think he'd have to win against Marab or Marlin or or, or Jose or so, something God. like that. Here's Jose um, for you. Go go deal with that. You know, absolutely right. out of the frying pan into the fire with this one. Yeah, that that hammer hammer time. Um, Luke, do you have a prediction here on how this ends? I'll say Sanhagen via decision. I'm not sure that he actually gets the stoppage. I think he is capable of getting the stoppage, 
But I think Sanhagen gets back in the win column. It's a little bit too much too soon, I think, for Song Yudong. But um, the odds are close for a reason. I respect both guys tremendously in this contest. I just feel like this is a fight where if Sanhagen has done his homework, has trained properly, and has a disciplined game plan, there really is no good reason why he should lose. Luke, when it comes to this undercard, I went ham Wednesday on that Aspen Lad-Sarah McMahon matchup in terms of like... It's time for Aspen. You got to show it to us. What fight, in your opinion, on this undercard has the you know sort of biggest stakes for a breakthrough opportunity here? It's a good question. Well, it's funnily enough, BC Aspen Lad versus Sarah McMahon, which I know everyone wants the easy go to. Dude, Aspen Lad is a minus one forty favorite. Boy, I got to tell you, that is surprising. I would have thought it would be the other way. Um, but either way, whoever you find as the as the I mean, that is such a consequential fight for Aspen Ladd, right? Yeah. A win here would be really good for her. Really nice. Wouldn't sort of say that, oh, she's back and on top of the division. It doesn't say that. But solid win over somebody who look, whatever condition Sarah McMahon is in. Here's what I know. She's going to get the most out of it. Right. Yep. She's not the same at 41 as she was at 31. Fair enough. But whatever she's got at 41, she is going to give you every piece of it. So. For Aspen Lad to get a win over that, I think would be pretty impressive. Uh, I am surprised they have her as the favorite. I really am. Also, again, I'm not surprised because of of like. But look, you, the stakes are so high. You just nailed it. Like if Aspen loses this in any form, I mean, <laughs> you're gonna be running out of time, a time chances or anyone's belief that you can get it done. But with that said, Luke, on the flip side, Sarah McMahon is kind of the perfect opponent. Look, she's tough as nails. If this ends up being a trap, she can win this fight. There's no question. And she looked good last time, I thought. But odds-wise, Ladd has to be the favorite because she's still that that bigger potential. I think she has a little bit more ways to win this fight. You know, if Aspen Ladd can come back to life like she did against Kunitskaya, you know, she may need to, she may needed to have been a bigger betting, you know, favorite in this regard. But with the questions answered, it's actually perfect matchmaking and really perfect odds, Luke. This is going to be interesting theater. Um, we did identify that there were a couple other sort of put-up-or-shut-up fights in that opportunity, but, like, is there anyone else that you, you feel like, dude, they don't get a win here, big issues? I mean, maybe touchy-feely, Luke, maybe. Yeah, Andre Feely would be the big one, and it's unfortunate because that's a tough fight against Bill Algeo, who is very well-rounded, who, let me see their uh, reach. I'd be curious to see where they match up there. Yeah, Feely with just a one-inch reach advantage. Bill Algio slightly younger, um, but coming here off that win over Herbert Burns was just remarkable. And they have it again. They have the same opponent in Brito, uh, Brito and Algio beat him. Um, Algio, by the way, much more active uh, than uh, Andre Feely, so he's he's got a higher volume. The thing is for Andre Feely, I think a lot of this is going to run through the takedown. He lands nearly three takedowns per fifteen minutes. It's a big part of his game mixing it up if he can't mix it up enough against Algeo, that's really going to be the key is to what extent can Andre Feely spin all the plates at the same time if he can do that Algeo might have his hands full but if not Algeo is going to be all over him Luke would it be too far to say that he was your castmate in that Mr. Faber produced weed thriller probably a little I never went on set nor did I get paid okay. so Dude, we have to set up an MK homework assignment to watch that. I, I would love to. I would love to talk about how absurdly violent that movie became. It's pretty badass. It's it's. Dude, but we gotta watch that after having like seven or eight Delta gummies. Oh, I mean, that's yeah. just the reality. Yeah, that drink you purchased, Luke. You should drink that whole oh thing. Oh my god, first. that thing! That thing tore me to pieces. Wow! Wow! Uh, 
Tanner Boaster, Luke, does he impress you still as somebody long-term that, that, like, could make a little bit of noise, pots and pans, St. Anger, Metallica-style, Luke, uh, in this division? Minus 170 favorite against Rodrigo Nascimento? Yeah, sure. I mean, he's well-rounded. Um, predominantly a striker, doesn't do a whole lot of grappling, so we don't really have a great sense of that. He has pretty decent takedown defense. Um, doesn't have a huge reach for the weight class, just 75-inch reach. Nascimento has an 80-inch reach, so he's given up five inches on the uh, the reach differential, so that's not great. But, um, you know, doesn't take a ton of abuse, right? Doesn't get hit a lot. I think he just 2.16 strikes absorbed per minute. It's very low, especially for a heavyweight. His opponent at 6.14 actually has a negative differential. So, yeah, I mean, do I see him, you know, hoisting the belt? Well, it's hard to see who he'd beat to get the belt. But as a as a good addition to the heavyweight division with a respectable skill set to beat, you know, um, you know, more opponents than he loses to, yeah, sure. All right, and don't forget about... Uh... Oh, I forgot him. No, Anthony Hernandez, Luke, a minus 200 favorite here against Mark andre Berriol. That's the man who subbed Rodolfo Vieira and blew your mind, is it not? Um, I don't I don't think so. This is a, uh, or maybe, yes, maybe it was. Mark andre Berriol, uh, did he beat? No, I don't think he fought. No. Oh, no, no, sorry. Anthony Hernandez is. You, I thought you meant Berriol. No, no, or Hernandez, uh, here it is, February of 2021. Yes, Luke. he did. He did. He was able to do it, which is just like, you know, in pure jiu-jitsu terms, that would basically be impossible. But you start throwing strikes into the mix. Very different ball game. Yeah, he's won uh, three of four overall entering this fight. I know you're a huge M.A. Burial guy, Luke, right? The biggest. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, you want to keep... Luke, I could I could go through the dollar bin here on this undercard with you all night. I don't you know. Do you want to keep going, Luke? No, I'm good. The card is very okay. Okay, shout out to Cameron Van Camp opening the the uh, the card there against Nicholas Mota. Uh, Luke, let's go to topic number three. How about this? The longtime coach of Jose Aldo, Andre Pedneris. Uh, I don't know where this... Oh, Kimbache was the uh, source of the interview. Uh, here's the deal. He's advising Jose Aldo to retire. The quote is, Jose didn't need it since that fight, much less now. This is uh, him... He advised Aldo to retire before the Edgar fight is what this is the reference. I'd tell him now to stop. I think Aldo has already conquered a lot, and it won't be his last fight against Davalashvili that will take away his legacy in the sport. He says that uh, there's only one fight left on the deal. Luke, would you, you wouldn't go that far to, to echo this, right? I mean, I don't want Jose to hang around forever. I'm, I, I think his days of chasing a title are, you know, I mean, it's, it, it feels over, Luke. I wouldn't Luke, mind if he retired at all. But no. there's a world for him to still compete at a pretty damn high level if he wanted to, correct? Sure, but at what cost? None of this is free. And when I say free, I mean your health costs. Jose Aldo has been fighting for a very long time and probably has taken a tremendous amount of physical abuse, and I'm sure his brain has suffered a fair degree of trauma. And so at this stage of his career, where winning the title is probably impossible... You have to ask yourself, what is the cost here? I mean, here's another one to think about, too. What about Max Holloway? Now, you might say, oh, well, Max Holloway is only 30. Why would he ever retire? But, right, here's the issue. Do you really see him reclaiming his belt at 145? Not why Alex is there. No. Do you see him claiming a belt at 155? No. Now, he could be in big fights and beat very good fighters. That is true. And he could potentially make some money. But he already makes a lot of money outside of the cage, from what I understand. And so, the question is, do you really want to put in all that work 
for stuff that won't really have any title implications that will come at extraordinary health risks down the line. Now, again, he might say the answer is yes, that he just wants to do it. He could still be good guys. And if that's what he wants to do, then that's what he will do. But like this idea, I mean, you have to understand where is MMA lucrative? It's lucrative by and large, almost exclusively at the championship end or right around that. Now, Jose is sort of right around that. Again, I don't know exactly the figures he makes on his on his deal. Maybe he still thinks it's financially worth it. But when you're at this stage of your career and you're as, I think, he should be as financially stable as Jose Aldo is. Remember, he's opened up some restaurants in Brazil, some burger joints and some other places. Although maybe he is not because he cheaped out on that tattoo. That thing is the fucking worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, come but on. I mean, it's not great, but let's not. Let's not. It's know. it's really, really bad. That's like a, a three or four out of ten. I mean, it's bad. Oh, but, no. I mean, it's okay. It doesn't suck. It kind of sucks, but I don't think it's a. I mean, you're bad. saying it's like it's like a train wreck. It's like somebody it's climbed his roof and put a dong up there, and it's like, dude, yeah, you got to yeah. get that down. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. That's, what, that's what he's got. But the point I'm trying to make is. Folks always think of like, what does he have left for fighting rather than thinking, what about the next stage of your life? Folks, fighting for all these guys will come to an end and they will have a life after that. You have to ask yourself right now, right now, is it worth it to absorb all of that brain damage and all of that body trauma for the less lucrative end of fighting that could potentially have serious consequences for the next stage or two or three, if it even goes that long, of your life. I can understand why Pettineris, having seen what Aldo has accomplished, probably knows how, to, to what extent he's making money and what's left for him and realize it's a much better call to stop it here. I totally endorse Pettineris. So, and I think listening to an old listening to old men in combat sports, no one wants to do it. But they're the ones that have seen all the life cycles go right. come and go. It's worth paying attention to them. I mean, the, everything you said is spot on, brilliant. I wish more people looked at it. I think when like Ioana Young Jacek just walked away, it was sort of like, let's applaud her, right? Going out yes. on her own terms, not lingering too long. Um, you know, you don't want to see your heroes get beat up. But look, there's two kinds of people. They're the kinds that can make that decision and be fine with it. And that's, by the way, they probably should. Their family's probably encouraging them to do that. But then there's the competitors, Luke, who you have to, you know, forcibly drag away from this game because not only it's all they ever know, it's the biggest Russian thrill and passion of their lifetime. Um, I think Jose Aldo's that guy. I mean, Luke, let's not forget, I know football's not, you know, as physically dangerous, but pretty damn close in many ways. Remember when Jerry Rice was like 43? Dude, they couldn't get him out of the league. He tried to become the Denver Broncos, like, fourth string, fifth string receiver. Like, he was basically like, they're like, you could be on our practice squad if you want. I mean, he was out there, like, life or death to try to make that team, you know, because he loves the game so much. And it's like, that's a problem in combat sports when it gets there and, and guys can't be removed. But you're right financially about Jose, but dude, I can't, there's no chance. I don't think there's a chance. Now, let me read you the final quote from Pedneris that really explains everything you just said. He said, I've seen many retire and want to fight years later. Most of them are like that. Talis Latis left the UFC, fought his last fight against Hector Lombard and said, brother, I don't want to, I don't want that shit anymore. Two or three years have passed and now he's calling me to get a fight. I've seen that my whole life and it will happen to Aldo. I mean, look, when you get the coach like that, that's like a father, that's what the family should say, Luke. Yes. Dude, he's too good still, though, and he loves it too much. He's going to fight anywhere. You, you, dude, that's a, that's when you want to retire. You want to retire when folks are saying, yeah, but you're still good. You could still do it. Yeah, don't. 
Yeah, but he's still really good. That's the problem. But, Luke, you're right. And then Pedneris also said he wants uh, Jose to focus on boxing or Muay Thai or anything, you know, more passion plays like that, where he could potentially make some cash in that direction. Don't do BKFC, Jose. You're too classy for that, okay? We thought you were too classy for that tattoo as well, but, uh, yeah, there you go. Luke, topic number four is just a little roundup from the leftovers of UFC 279. Luke, let's start here. Dan Hooker explaining why Nate Diaz's free agency is dangerous for the UFC. This is on uh, All-Stars 279 reaction uh, show video. Here's the quote. By him fighting out his contract, meaning Nate Diaz, leaving on a win, leaving as a huge pay-per-view star, he can test free agency, right? And he now has the ability to show other fighters where they stand in the open market, which is incredibly dangerous for the UFC. If he goes out and PFL drops millions for him to sign or Risen drops millions, sorry, Ryzen, uh, or he goes away and fights Floyd Mayweather and gets $10 million, it's really going to open a lot of other UFC fighters' eyes. So I can really see the UFC doubling, tripling, quadrupling whatever contract he was on just so that doesn't happen. So fighters aren't as aware of their ability outside the UFC because if it's never done with a guy like that and Nate's position, Hooker added, it's usually when guys are going out on a huge loan. You know what I mean? Or going out on huge losses. Luke, end quote, he's spot on. But, like, is it even bigger than UFC saying, I don't want Nate's brand to compete against us in the open market. I don't want him to set a dangerous precedent that we're way too stubborn or business smart or really just a-holes to want to change right now, Luke. I think Hooker's on the money. I think Hooker's on the money. I, you know, in the end, I don't think that the UFC wants to get away from how much they pay and they want to keep it within those confines, if at all possible. But... You know, and Nate Diaz is obviously, you know, Hooker's wrong in the sense that, like, well, I, he's right. But what I'm trying to point out is fighters will see what Nate Diaz does and then potentially could get inspired to go and test their own free agency. But the level of fighter that's going to be, I mean, the I should say the amount of fighters that are going to be able to take advantage of that open market in the way that Nate Diaz has is, you know, it's less than a handful of guys. Like, that is not scalable at all. But... To the extent that it begins to stir these uh, emotions or thoughts in guys' heads about, well, wait a second, I don't know, maybe I'm not Nate Diaz value, but what value do I have? I don't even know. I don't know. You don't know your value unless you see it actively competed for on the open market. Could it lead to that? Still, the thing that the UFC has in their favor is one, they could they could potentially re-sign Nate Diaz. I find that unlikely at this juncture, but it is possible. And two. For a lot of guys, now not everybody, we'll see who does the PFL thing and whatever, if Bellator makes a big offer or BKFC, one potentially. But the reality is for a lot of guys, even if the wages are depressed, the UFC is an arguable monopoly. And so for that reason, they're still going to be able to pay a little bit more for most people than the competitors would be. There will be different cases, but I still think those will exist largely at the margin and not at the core. The question you have to ask yourself is, is Nate Diaz, if he goes and does this and fights Jake Paul and makes a fuck ton of money, what does that do for the UFC stars? What does it do for the guys who are the actual breadwinners, who are the actual champions, or whatever the case may be, like a Francis Ngannou? Does he get inspired, potentially, by something Nate Diaz does? I mean, I realize he's already had his own ideas, but you know that kind of a thing. That's who this is really geared towards, because there are too many other factors of the current, so to speak, driving fighters back towards the UFC for there to be some kind of en masse rebellion or en masse, 
you know, uh, movement towards some other place. Even if it doesn't lead to more people leaving, like fighting out their deal strategically and then go into big things, it's going to lead to fighters, you know, more star fighters than anything, getting paid what they deserve to sort of, you know, shut them up and keep them happy. Didn't we see just see Adesanya get like a massive deal in the midst of all these fighter pay headline season right there? Luke, this, the more Nate can go out there and cash in in huge ways, anyone who's up for a contract is going to be in a great spot. So that's great for the 1% who have, you know, already been eating compared to the rest. It doesn't solve the problem at all, but I guess it's, uh, yeah, I'd rather see that, Luke, right? I'd rather, I mean, I'd rather see these guys get paid in some form, even if it's just the famous ones. I don't know. I don't know, Luke. I'm not a, you know, I wish I was Norma Reed, right? Union, yes. Luke, what if I became Dana White's real public enemy number one? Not a four-minute video, right? Pull, pulled quotes that were, you know, not even in context. What if I called up Bjorn Rebney and we restarted this thing, Luke? I think you'd be out of a job pretty quickly. Yeah, I think, I think I'd never go to a fight again, Luke. You're right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you for that sobering reality right there. Uh, let's keep these these uh, 279 reactions going. Luke, they've sometimes called Michael Chandler a company man, the fans have. Well, here's the deal. He was on Ariel's show, and he was asked about Dana White denying that any of the 279 fighters who had their fights massively switched got a pay raise for it. Here's what Michael Chandler said. I don't know. I think in some alternate universe, it actually makes sense. Like you said, I heard the same thing too, where I'm like, why would you not admit that right now? Because basically that makes you look good, especially when all anyone does is throw darts at you and throw venom at you. All that to say, once again, I will always get called a brown noser. I know some things behind the scenes where I'm like, okay, they're a well-worn organization who takes better care of people than people actually think they do. But the best kind of gifts are the ones that you don't expect anything in return and the ones that you don't gloat about. Chandler added, it kind of makes me respect Dana even more, end quote. I mean, can he be both right and an ex shameless extreme company man at the same time? There's a world where that, that makes sense, right? Sure. There's a, I mean, listen, the, the UFC, you know, I don't know if anyone accuses them of outright abuse per se. Um you know, or, or, you know, acting like um, the world's worst bosses in every case. That's really not the idea. The idea is, and this is the thing that goes back to like, this is what undercuts whatever DC or Chandler or anyone else might say. I'm sure that there are a lot of examples behind the scenes where they went above and beyond what they were contractually obligated to do, which is nice. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But the reality is that's not what you want. That's not the ideal world. The world is where your the market conditions exist in such a way where every fighter is, by and large, able to maximize um, their wealth and their fortune and their leverage by virtue of having a set, uh, uh, like in the contracts is already a much fairer standard because you're not under the thumb of what the monopoly is telling you that they want. Right, where you have some kind of either federal legislation to protect you, where you have a union to protect you, whatever the ideal situation may be. You want something, you want some other market force to bear down to rearrange the dynamic so that you don't have to wait for the generosity of your company. Like what they want to keep doing is saying, we're going to have these unfair conditions. We're going to ignore that they're unfair. And then when the UFC does something beyond that, oh, look how generous they are. Sure, it's generous. But it's generous inside of a world that is inherently tilted towards the one being generous in, in innumerable ways. So I recognize what he's saying is probably true. It probably is true that they've gone. Like I don't think that they're horrible people who just want to screw the fighters over all the time. 
But what they don't want to do is, is essentially really meaningfully share the business with the fighters. That's what they really don't want to do. And until something comes around that forces them to do that, all of these stories about, hey, I got this bonus and no one knew about it and they, were, they took care of me here, those are great. Those are great. But they're utterly beside the point. The point is to level the industry and then see what happens. Yeah. And when you say nobody knows about these bonuses, you mean the IRS as well, right, Luke? Or is this a John According S. to certain conspiracy theorists Pandora's who may or box. may not be wearing Chuck Mendenhall's hat. I mean, that, that, that sounded like Chandler knows a little thing about the Nelk Boy bag, if you know what I'm saying, Luke. And I'm not, I'm not hating on that, by the way. Get paid. And if this is the avenue for him to do that, all right, there you go, Luke. But uh, it's not full reality for everyone. Uh, Tony Ferguson quickly, Luke, in the post-fight presser after his loss to Nate Diaz, uh, indicated, quote, I hang my hat at two different places besides home. That's 55 and 70. He went on to say how thankful he was that he came out healthy from the loss. But, Luke, he sounds like he feels he can compete in both divisions and maybe 170 could find him another chapter. We already kind of debated the idea of, like, it's probably perfect timing to just go now. Tony's not doesn't want to. I mean, we know that. Uh, what does the UFC end up doing here, though? What's the next move for Tony Ferguson, whether you're ready for it or not? I don't know. I really... So, someone had suggested to me, and I didn't like it. I want to hear what you have to say. Someone suggested to me, at 170, Tony versus Nick Diaz. Now, tell me, A, if you like it or not, and then oh, B, God. why you like it or not. Dude, it, okay, it's a... It's a it's it's not only a gas station hot dog, Luke. It's the ones where they like pre-insert the cheese before packaging. I mean, it's it's you know. It's, I mean, that's the worst. It'll kill you. It's pretty brilliant, though. I mean, on the Mass Pike, they have those at the pull. I mean, I, not that I know anymore, but uh, yeah, Luke, it's perfect. I mean, it's <laughs> you know you like them extra sloppy. Luke. I mean, it is. It's a. I mean, it's a it's a sloppy Joe right into the face, Luke. It's the perfect fight for both guys, though, and. You know, I'd rather treat a legend with respect and give him some final bows, which is what the Nate fight was, and it came together a perfect storm for both guys. Uh, I think they all, they, dude, Luke, Luke, there, it, look, is there anything to this cosmic way of looking at Tony was the ultimate company man, but really never got the big payoff, got the Gaethje fight, never got the Habib one. Do they feel like they kind of owe him, you know, a couple more, a couple more meals here? I doubt it. <laughs> you're like they're, you're like those swinging corporate raiders. No chance at all. There you go. Yeah, okay. uh, I doubt they they feel like they owe him anything. Yeah. All right, uh, Luke. Let's keep it going. Uh, Kevin Holland made sure D Rod got taken care of at UFC 279. This is Daniel Rodriguez talking to Ariel Hawani. Props to Holland though. He had told the UFC or whatever, maybe the matchmakers, that he wanted to make sure I was completely taken care of. Like, not completely left out of the situation or without a fight. At least get paid a little something, you know? So shout out to Holland for that, end quote. So Kevin Holland went to the negotiation table and, and made sure he got D-Rod's back. Yo, look, that's some, like, Wild West valor right there. That's some honor among, among these, these wild men, Luke. Uh, yeah, I mean, what did it really mean, though? Maybe a little bit more cash for D-Rod, right? Not according to Dana, but you get it. Dude, think about it. The Leech and Daniel Rodriguez got got it kind of the worst. They end up having to face each other in the lowest profile fight of the, you know, of all the switches. You know, it did have great action potential. Didn't play out that way, but 
you know, they they deserve just as much credit as Holland accepting a five-round Chimaev fight for that whole thing staying together. So, yeah, I think he did get a handful, Luke. Maybe not the full milk bag, but maybe, like, they, they spilled a few on the way out and he grabbed it. Luke, yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit there. I mean, that's nice of Holland. I mean, I don't think he's a bad guy at all. Um, we we, we want to get him on the room service diaries couch at some point, so we'll see yeah, how that goes. Yeah, that'd be wild, but, man. That'd be, that'd be but, wild. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in the end, like, there's a lot of people who attribute uh certain factors for certain events that i in mma i have found over time you'd be wise to be skeptical of that so um we'll see luke chris barnett who stole all of our hearts there at 279 uh chatted with ariel and luke this whole idea about this overprotective doctor that halted the weight cut of chamayev according to barnett this this is real for him too so he said the doctor is looking at me and saying my body's hot you're this you're that i don't want you to cut this pound I'm telling you right now, word for word, he says, I'm telling you right now, if I let you cut this pound and a half, I am condemning you to lose. Watch this. In five minutes, I'm going to check again, and his heart rate is going to be higher than it was. Well, of course it is when he comes back over. It's higher the second time, so the doctor goes, no, you can't fight tomorrow, but you're not cutting this pound and a half. So, Luke, Barnett's claiming he could have made it, no problem, but the doctor was oversensitive. I mean, I, I, dude, weight cutting is so barbarically brutal on combat sports athletes bodies and mind and long-term you know shelf value and all that that anything that halts that oh yeah i'm into that but i also don't want to see these guys get a big financial hit they didn't expect to have to take you know that makes that's fair right also isn't this exactly what i told you happened to my friend he had his heart rate measured and they told him he couldn't cut weight and i asked him how he felt he's like dude i could have cut weight no problem no problem it's the this sounds like the exact same thing which by the way could have been what happened to Chimaev as well. Now, we don't know with any certainty, but if what he's saying is here is true, this is the exact same thing happened to my friend in California, Justin Berry. Shouts to Justin Berry. Uh, and he 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 uh, he assured me, he was like, dude, I felt completely fine. I could have easily cut weight. So, you know, I, I'm not here to tell you that the medical doctor doesn't know what he's doing or or what the situation is. I can't make a medical prescription, but I can tell you that like I hear from fighters now somewhat commonly as there is more attention paid to weight cutting and, and then the, the the fighters condition before they really go into the last and final bit of weight cutting about what medical screenings are in place and how that impacts their ability you're seeing this more and more now i just wonder like here's the thing if the doctor stops you from cutting weight versus i tried to cut weight and i just couldn't make it should there be a different punishment like yeah, so for example a fair point so fair like point. if you if you try to make it and you're still three pounds over that's one thing. But if you're like, dude, I can make this fucking weight. Remember, Barnett was like 267 or something, 268. He was only like a pound or two over. Well, I feel like if the doctor stops you, maybe it should be 10%. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's really that, that catch-22 because you're right in a lot of ways of everything you just said. But all this does is further show you how effed up the weight-cutting system foundationally is and how you are able to make such extreme cuts even with the rules and the, the the boundaries they've put on you know dehydration i mean we're finally starting to get some of that right but luke it's still the wild west if your body can do it f the future or the price you pay or all that i'm gonna do it dude that sucks i know like if you're a former wrestler in high school or whatever you're probably like dude we can't pussify everything i get it we can't you know this also can kill people I mean, how, I've heard Rashad tell me a million times what it's like to fight after a really hard weight cut and how much more likely you are to get knocked out and, you know, all that and how it affects your brain. I mean, Luke, this shit is already the most unsafe job ever. 
and I feel like we're still using this old system. I mean, maybe like, to, what's the fix? There, you know, have everybody weigh in before they walk in the cage, and if you're in the you know the 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 accepted weight class, then you made it. I mean, no, probably not. Then you're probably would setting cut up weight right up until the fight itself. Exactly, you're probably more. setting yourself up for even more issues. So there's always going to be need to have some type of ability for people to squeeze in where that you know where they're going to be better. But I just feel like anything that we do to like make it easier to destroy your body and mind more. I mean, when people look, how many times do people move up and wait and go, "Oh my God, I'm back physically and mentally"? Like I can't believe I used to do that. You know. Here's my thing about weight cutting. This is what I always come back to. People want to dramatize it a lot. I'm like, dude, in MMA, in MMA, forget about collegiate wrestling, in M which is a very different set of scenarios. In MMA, who has solved the weight cutting problem? Anywhere. Anywhere. Nobody. Nobody Not has Chatri? figured it out. Not Chachi? Ch they, didn't, they didn't figure a fucking thing out. Nothing. Okay? <laughs> Zero. So my point is this, at some point, why doesn't it dawn on people you can't really legislate your way around this problem? Why, why haven't we come to that realization? What, what set of rules are you really going to pass to really fix, deter this, solve this problem? I am not convinced that any set of rules actually exists to be able to do that. And so to me, at some point, it's like, let's just find a more humane way to do this and less penalization and then just fucking move on with our day, right? The one thing I'll say though, look again, if you got a wrestling background and you're like, dude, toughen up. This that's the you know, that's what happens. I, I get it. But there's a lot of shit that we dealt with as normal in our childhood that now we're like, oh my God, I can't believe that. Watch a video of somebody making an an elite UFC fighter making an extreme cut. It's horrifying. I mean, seriously, it's I don't know how you can watch that though and just be like, yeah, man, that's part of the game, you know? Like, okay, I mean, that's why I don't play that no, no, game. No, I'm not saying we I mean, do nothing. Why, I'm, not, I'm not, listen, I, I'm not, the argument would not be do nothing. Like, for example, getting a doctor to look at someone, measure their heart rate, and be like, hey, as a medical, in, 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 the, in, in honoring my Hippocratic oath and looking at what I'm looking at, I forbid you from cutting weight so that we don't get these, uh, you know, whether or not this was overzealous or not. But I think most people would agree in general, having a medical professional on staff who can evaluate fighters and prevent them from making extreme cuts is probably something that we should have. That, that seems like, on balance, a good idea. It doesn't solve a lot of the other problems. In fact, it creates some new ones. But this is my point. It's like, dude, let's do what we can to make this humane, weigh these guys in on Tuesday, try to follow them through, try to, have, try to put in whatever place you can measures to minimize the damage from weight cutting. I am totally on board with that. But this, like... There's this constant like banging their fist down on the four mica like they're MMA's Karens asking to speak to the manager why they yeah. haven't figured this out yet. No one has figured this out because yeah. I don't think there's a set of solutions that exist given the realities of how these are independent contractors. They're coming in from all over the world. There's how much you can actually measure, how much you can legislate, what they can do, what they look like, what their health condition is on Tuesday as opposed to Friday, all kinds of shit. There's all kinds of things you cannot control. And for that reason... The hand-wringing over this, I think, needs to fucking stop. You cannot fix this problem in the way that people imagine that they can. Luke Thomas coming hard in the paint with the same energy as PED talk, Luke. So I give you that credit, you know? You, you, you brought it. You delivered. Minimize the harms and fucking move on. Like, huh? I don't yeah. understand. Stop being a pussy, BC, right? Let's, you know, that's okay. Not I'm, that's not what I'm saying. You, you, you want to err on the side of safety, but, like, we got to figure out weight cutting. Yeah, 
by all means, let me know what you figure out. I would love to hear it. Okay, I'll get back to you. Uh, let's go to topic five, and that's, uh, I guess, non-UFC 279 quick hitters. So let's go right here. Look, Benil Dariush has revealed he's expected oh, to on, serve... hold on, hold on, hold on. Breaking news. Hold on. You got to hear this. <laughs> this is from uh, Damon Martin of MMA Fighting. Aspen Ladd reportedly dealing with another tough weight cut uh, ahead of her oh. fight against Sarah McMahon, her sources. Oh, boy. I mean... I mean, the, the thing is, it may have already been, been time to stick to the potential reinvention at featherweight. She had the one fight against Norma Dumont, lost it, didn't look particularly great. Um, I mean, maybe that was the time to just go all in because she's had, like, Luke, what is it, four or five times? She's had, like, legit issues. She's almost passed out in the scale. Yeah. Damn, Luke, a lot of talent there. Can't get it together. I hope she, I, you know, I hope, I don't know. I'm speechless, Luke, speechless over here. I'm not speechless. Uh, and the words of Nate Diaz, I'm not surprised. Wow. Wow. If you like dogs and hiking, Luke, she's got an interesting Instagram account. Okay, I, I like Aspen Ladd. I have nothing against her, but, you know, she is stuck in a situation where she cannot reliably and consistently make weight, it appears. So we'll see. We'll see. All right. Uh, Benio Darius reveals he's expected to serve as the backup to Charles Oliveira versus Islam Mahachev in their lightweight title uh, what is that a unification or is that just a regular fight? Uh, yeah, UFC 280. No one has. Is there? No, there's no belt at stake. Actually, they're both fighting for the full belt. That's the the asterisk in this situation after that weight issue. Uh, here's Darius talking to MMA fighting. That's what my manager Ali told me. I was the backup for this. Darius revealed uh, later that if something goes wrong, that they would just put him. In, yeah, that's what it means. But Luke Habib, close to the situation, tweeted out. Quote, I just think Charles Oliveira will not show up in Abu Dhabi and the UFC will replace Charles with Benil Dariush. Regardless of who the opponent will be, Mahachev is on his way to being the best in the world. End quote. Luke, did Habib send that <laughs> that tweet or was that an Ali special? I mean, let's be fair here. I mean, I don't know because Ali has his own kind of way where you can kind of tell Ali wrote it. This one doesn't look quite like that. It looks like Habib or or maybe somebody else other than Habib and Ali wrote it. I don't know. I don't understand this these fucking comments being like, you fighters see it all the time. Like I've just seen it in my mind where so and so doesn't show up. And sometimes they're right. Obviously, like it does happen. But more often than not, like tally up the number of times a fighter, boxer or MMA, where on fight week they're like, yeah, I see this happening at the weigh-ins or. I see this happening at the fight and like none of that shit ever comes true. You hear it all the fucking time. So I don't know if they've got inside information about Charles maybe having trouble with weight or whatever the fuck or visas or who knows who the hell knows. And that this is kind of an early leak in that way. Maybe that there's something there. But I got to tell you, the amount of times I've heard someone so like I see this happening and then, you know, the exact opposite happened. It's like it's fairly regular. Okay. It could be Ali. It could just be Habib, like gamesmanship, trying to get in Oliveira's head, or like you said, furthering the the intel that they've heard. Is any part of this Habib the competitor, like looking at what Charlie Olives has done and 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 the names he's added in the short term, and just saying like, dude, slow your damn roll. Not only am I training my guy to to beat you, but you're getting a little too close to the sun here in terms of what I built at lightweight. Historically, you know, any anything there, Luke? I'm not saying Habib's going to come back if Mahachev gets knocked out. I'm not saying that. He's a man of his word. But the competitor in him is still looking at this with a sharp eye, correct? How much do you really believe that Habib thinks Charles' resume is as good as his? Whatever. I'm not saying what you think about the resume. Not I'm in a direct what does comparison. Habib think? 
I feel like Habib might say to himself, look at all the attention this guy's getting right now in the wake of me walking away. Uh, this guy, because I think all the guys look at him and go, okay, right, he's been great lately, but I wonder if they still look at him for who they knew him before that. A lot of that was when he was in the wrong division, of course, at featherweight, but he shuffled and juggled big wins and big losses and, you know, wasn't always on weight, wasn't always, you know, the best of himself. That's why this late this late turn has been such a fun story, and good God, does he find a way to win huge fights against killers one after another. So I think it's Habib just getting a little uncomfortable with the, like, Yo, I just left the game. My boy's next. And now you made us wait a long time while this guy, you know, flaunts that he's, you know, the, the, the best. I know that guy's not the best. I know that guy. I think there's a little bit of fire still in that Habib belly, Luke, even if he won't break mother and father's word. There's no doubt he would love for Islam to win. Uh, I, I agree with that. I don't really believe in Habib's heart of hearts. He thinks that Charles's resume is on par with his. I don't believe that. No, but it's the attention, that. Luke. It's the talk. It's the it's the fuck that guy mentality, right? Maybe there might be something to be said for that. There, you know, these guys are also intensely competitive. So it's a little silly for me to dismiss that. Yeah, you're, you're right. You know what? You know what? I think you convinced me. They're right. There All could right. be something to that. Trying to play armchair psychologist for the UFC is like trying to look into like a high school cafeteria lunch table, Luke, and like, you know, try to figure out the power dynamics of, of the different cliques, you know? Well, since I moved around as a kid so much, I was usually alone. So All right. Well, you could you get could, that. You could tell the dynamics of where I was sitting. If you watch season five of Cobra Kai, which you're boycotting, Luke, it's fantastic. I'm halfway through with the kids. It's fantastic, Luke. Can I just say very unequivocally, the lives of teenagers are not interesting. You're missing this one. Clear You're missing that. this one. That's it's the a big boat. hole. That's the big that's hole in right Romeo and Juliet. It's like I don't care about your uninteresting lives. There's a hooker on the boat, Luke, and her name is Brandy, and she's a fine girl. I mean, what a good wife, right? You know what I mean? She must look. All these songs are probably written about just you know outrageously promiscuous women, but you know what, Luke? It's that's fine. That's fine. Okay. Just banging whores. You know what I'm oh, right. uh, hey, Marlon Marais is not done fighting. Dude, what? Luke, the former World Series of Fighting champion is somewhat returning to his roots here, signing with the PFL for the 2023 season. He's lost five of his last six to close his UFC career, including four straight. The only win was that split decision win over Jose Aldo, which I think too often people say, well, Aldo won that fight. No, he didn't. He didn't win the fight. He left the back door open in the second half of the third round. Rewatch it. Luke, uh... When somebody's still young and feels like they got it, man, people will still offer you money to fight. What is the best case scenario here for Marlon Marais and trying to trying to find new life? Not getting. I don't love this. Don't love this. I thought that what he showed at the end of his it's like, okay, our guys in the PFL on balance easier to beat than the guys in the UFC. Okay, yeah, uh, yes on balance but number one you've got guys in pfl who are very much ufc level and above number one number two this is at featherweight because pfl doesn't have a bantamweight division that's a problem and three my major takeaway from his end run there and the ufc was that his chin has been um taken from him which is you know nothing he can do about that really at this point which also indicates he's probably suffered a fair amount of brain trauma yeah, don't love it. Don't love it at all. Um, if he hadn't been knocked out four consecutive times in pretty disastrous ways, uh, this would be a different conversation. I thought he was younger. He's 34. So 
He's uh, you know, there's old there's too. there's legitimate concern, you know, legitimate concern. But if he if he hadn't been knocked out all those, you'd be like, well, could he just drop down in competition level? But this is a bad idea. You're right, uh, Luke. How about this idea? November fifth, UFC Fight Night, Bryce Mitchell versus Movsar Evloev. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if that's the main event. Is that going to move you? Is that going to move me? That is a fucking amazing fight. You got yeah. Bryce. And by the way, there's bad blood between them. Bryce okay. Mitchell, who has been, you know, he's got crazy views, but my man is super talented on the mat. He's talented on the feet as well, but like he has Dude, got he such chews. an interesting. He huh? chews coffee grinds, Luke. He chews the grounds. He, he. I used to dip those when I was in the military just to wake up, but he just chews them shits. Like he's fucking hard. He's hard as nails. But, dude, and I know I, there's a better way to pronounce Evloev than the way we're doing it. I forget exactly how you pronounce it. But uh, he undefeated, absolute physical powerhouse. I think probably the better wrestler and scrambler of the two. Maybe not as a, much of a dynamic submission threat relative to Bryce Mitchell. That is an amazing contest. But I will say, I don't know if it's the main event for that card either. I don't know if it is or what that's going to happen. But that fight needs to be five rounds, not three. Um, is... What country is Evloev from? Russia. Oh, should we be fitting him for a hammer in my in my uh, soon-to-be set-up uh, cupboard here, Luke? Where when I need a mallet or a or an Armagomedov or a... you mean the props that Malka is gonna make for you? I hope. I mean, I hope, Luke. Okay, there you go. I guess I should be forming the the wood together because you've certainly yeah. already have. <laughs> I mean, you gotta. The phoner, okay. Uh, Luke, Honey Yaya is out of this Cody Garbrandt fight. UFC Vegas 61, neck injury. A replacement opponent is sought to keep Garbrandt on the card. You see all those videos of Garbrandt biting down, doing that workout. I, everyone's sending it to me like it's front row, have you seen this shit? Look, he's doing the head. Dude, that's how you work your damn neck, right? I mean, don't you want Cody Garbrandt to be working on this, Luke? Yeah, I don't understand what the problem with that is. It doesn't seem crazy to me. He's biting down, so he's creating tension, and then he's, yeah, you know, using the 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 a band for accommodated resistance to get his neck stronger. Yeah, like that's exactly what he needs to be doing. What's the problem with any of that? I think people thought it was a sexual motion. I'm like, that's what you do in boxing gyms all the time. They make that <laughs> okay. All right, Luke, honey, Yaya is out though. Uh, you have a you have a. A feeling here, an opinion. The problem was that, that was like the perfect opponent for Garbrandt to get a W because obviously Hanayaya is tough and amazing on the ground. Yeah, but you know, Garbrandt should be faster and should be able to light him up on the feet. And it's not like Hanayaya is a super significant knockout threat. But uh, you will lose that. I'm not sure what to do with him. I'm not sure. Look, I saw this tweet about this next fight from Brett Okamoto, and it was written in a way where you did wonder if he <laughs> if he did indeed had a phoner. Calvin Cater, Arnold Allen, yeah. October 29th, UFC Fight Night, expected to headline. We know it's great. How great? How great of a fight is this, Luke? That is an unbelievable fight. Finally, finally, Arnold Allen's going to get tested against the very, very top of that division or you know, right at it. Um, Five-round contest. Calvin Cater looks to me, you know, I thought, I, thought, I really thought that um, Max Holloway was going to do a number on him, and he did, but... Uh, he has rebounded better than I thought, starting with that Giga Chikadze fight. And I love this. I love everything about this. This is really, if Arnold Allen's going to really make a move, it, all roads lead through Cater. So to him and through him. So um, I love this contest. Really, really fun one. Yeah, let's do this. Let's find out. If Arnold Allen's coming on, then this is the fight to further hammer that shit home. So we'll see, Luke. Uh, I don't know if this moves you at all. 
He's one in one as an amateur MMA fighter, but yet another grandson of the late great Muhammad Ali is going to tip his uh, toes in professional combat sports. This time in MMA, Biagio Ali Walsh has signed a contract with the PFL. Luke, here's the quote from the press release. I want to thank PFL for their support and confidence in me. I can't wait to enter the PFL smart cage. I have a legacy to live up to, a legacy that my grandfather began, that my brother and I continue. I choose to continue that legacy here in PFL. My one and only goal is to one day become a PFL world champion. He says his brother. So is he Nico Ali Walsh's brother? It would seem right. The young boxer that top rank is... Uh, is given a lot of uh, time to of late. Luke, how, uh, how happy are you that Biagio Ali Wall shouted out both the legacy of his late grandfather and the PFL smart cage in the same damn sentence? That cage is so fucking smart, bro. Good Lord, right? I, I wonder, you know, why isn't that smart cage playing like like we should get the smart cage on Jeopardy. Remember when they had like deep blue and shit like that on what yeah. was it on Jeopardy? Remember that when they had like the the IBM machine that yeah they that was that against? was lame though I mean that was just a bunch of nerds like jerking off and stuff you know like yeah but it's a smart cage right that's who they should be around I want to see him play the grandmasters of chess yeah I want to see it solve like you know you know you know it would God be a create a stone he cannot lift problems <laughs> you know how there's been weird pay per views once in a while like you know Hard Stern used to do those New Year's pay per view shows how about a pay per view debate. Dana White versus the Smart Cage, no topics um, off the table. Would you Would you pay for that? That's a Smart Cage. I don't know if Dana's ready for that. That's yeah, you're gonna have to That's... face the music of the, of the ESPN. Can put that on, by the way. They're they're in bed with both of them. Uh, BKFC's David Feldman, the promoter, he wants Nate Diaz and Luke. He's got a dream opponent for him. Here's the quote on the BKFC show. There's a There's a show, really. Uh, I can't tell you whether Nate's coming or not, but I can tell you that we want him here at BKFC and we're going to do everything we can to get him a bare-knuckle fight. I think that the fans would absolutely love to see both have the same type of personality. Both guys just keep fighting. Nate Diaz versus Mike Perry would be a fan's dream fight. Luke, Mike Perry also put out a video of him sparking up a joint calling Nate on. I know Nate potentially has much bigger fish to fry outside of the UFC but if he went fishing in, in in this in this pool, Luke, I think somebody urinated in that pool. But if he did, would you get fired up? Because him and Mike Perry is to me, with I mean, you could put it in Cumberland Farms, Luke, and I'm giving I'm I'm saying I'm saying f the future, forget forget my liver. I gotta go all in. I wouldn't have a phoner. I would just be as flaccid as a dead eel i mean it would just be i don't have anything for that one that oh one you that's not true idea I've that is heard. not true stop you're trying to you're trying to be too good for this you're not you vape watermelon oh, no no no, no i'm not too good for it i but you're i mean like, what you want me to do on this show is tell you how i really feel right that's what you want me to do my level of interest in nate diaz mike perry i mean i like dude mike perry's doing his thing in bkfc i'm not mad at him but my interest in Nate Diaz in BKFC versus Mike Perry or anyone else is less than zero, if that's even possible. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, I feel like I just got disciplined or something. Luke, Mickey Gall no longer under UFC contract. Still possible he can re-sign. Um, will he ever have a moment beyond the, the, the damn CM Punk thing? Or is that, is I think that about it? I think that was the moment. Yeah. Right? That, that was it. Too much too soon, but he can fight. He can fight. 
He's got like, some ability. He got viciously knocked out in his last contest by uh, was it uh, Malat? I think. Uh, yeah. Team Alpha Male. Um, he's got some abilities. It's not like he doesn't have, and he's been training with good teams. Like there's no denying it. But dude, this is the lesson: do not go to the UFC until you are really ready. Like, however, you know, I, it's funny, BC. I I listened to um, Deontay Wilder recently on the Last Stand podcast, the the you know the one uh, the Showtime podcast. Brian Custer. Brian Custer. Yes. And Deontay was saying, like, you know, I really recommend to broke boxers if you're on your way, like things are moving, but you're still broke, stay broke for a little while longer. You've already survived that longer. Wait until the really right contract comes around before you sign away everything. And it just reminded me of how many guys are like destitute or, you know, don't have much money competing on the regional scene and they want to get to the UFC where they can get much more money which of course is the most understandable thing in the world, but then sometimes they badly fuck up their development. And I think that's what the trap that Gall found himself in. And um, not sure what, which, not sure what's next. Uh, final quick hitter, Luke. Mike Coppinger of ESPN reporting that we all want Spence Crawford, right? He's saying it's just about almost done. November 19th would be the date in Las Vegas. He says they have agreed on everything, but they have not signed the contract. There's still some lawyering to do. Uh, but according to Coppinger, Bud Crawford ap- uh, agreed to the lesser of the financial split, so it won't be 50-50. We don't know the percentage. And they both agreed to a rematch clause that can be activated by the loser, but the winner would get a significant advantage in the purse split in the rematch. Uh, I-, I almost don't even want to talk about it, Luke, until I, until I, you know, until we hear about it. But yeah, yeah, bro, right? Hell yeah. Come on. Come on. Do it. Is Do there it. Uh, is there any truth? To, I saw some rumors being like they don't know if it's going to be on Showtime or Fox. Have you heard anything about that? I have not heard anything like that. We have not received any intel leaning, uh, but, you know, uh, yeah, I think I know where I want it to be on, Luke, okay? Yeah, I mean, if it's on Fox, I'll cry. And if it's on uh, Showtime, I will cry out of happiness. Thank you. Thank you. you we, maybe we should call it on Showtime pay-per-view. You and I, just you and I. No, we don't need we don't need fighters or play-by-play guys. Just you and I, Luke. Yeah. How about this, Al Abner, Morrow? You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Wow. You just disrespected Al more than that guy blowing triller weed in his face, Luke. Wow. All right. Let's close the show so we don't go over two hours here with this. It gives you the chance to call us out for once. Morningcombat at gmail.com is the email address. It's where you send your fan subs on Wednesday, but on Friday, the shit gets real, and you better have a receipt. This one's called Dead Wrong. All right. Uh, They're coming after you here, Luke, or maybe it's me. I don't know. Colton sent this in. So did Quinn and Adam. They say, hi, Luke. On Monday of your broadcast, Brian mentioned that Connor throwing a dolly against the bus traumatized Joanna Young-Jacek. It was actually Rose Namajunas that was traumatized. Love your yeah, show. You said Joanna. See, this is why I don't listen I don't, to you enough. I, I might have, you know, because I do have Joanna on the brain from time to time, Luke. So that may have actually uh-uh. happened. You know, um, but either way, you're right about that. And I mean, dude, Ray. I should have. I should have caught that. I guess I wasn't listening. Did Ray, Ray Borg got the glass in the eye? I think right. And and I mean, people were scared. Who else was on that bus? It was Carolina. It was Reed Didn't Harris. Kiesa sue him. Oh, Kiesa was on there too. Yeah. I thought How Kiesa did I not him? ask not sure him about that. that on the couch, Luke? If we I get forgot. a rematch with Kiesa, I'm going deep. All right? Okay, I had forgotten about that, but yeah. Okay. 
Uh, here we go. On Monday's episode, BC said that Tony Ferguson finally got to an interim title fight versus Justin Gaethje when it was, of course, future title holder Kevin Lee who he fought for the interim strap. Tony got injured during the fam infamous cable trip when they were supposed to unify and was stripped. So I'm going to stop him here. I knew that. I thought the Gaethje fight was also for the interim title, wasn't it? I thought so as well. Let me double check that here. I believe you are correct. He, that's not where, obviously, he lost the fight, so it's obviously not where he won it. Yeah. I, but. Okay, so the, uh, guy, the guy was saying that. Yes, you were. Uh, so, uh, Gaethje. For the interim lightweight championship, yes, you are correct. Okay, maybe he's saying I, I, you know, I didn't mention Lee, and he thought I thought there was only one. Anyway, he says, "BC, I've dead wronged you in the past for your vocabulary sins, but blamed it partially on your consumption of gas station delights. Since you largely cut those out of your diet, I have. And considering Luke didn't call either of those in the moment, I think you guys need to lay off those legal LA goodies, stick that in your ethosphere, and smoke it. Wow, that's Quinn coming at us. Wow." Damn, wow. man. That's All right. Really kind of harsh. I need those things for living. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we close with Adam. He says, I asked, sent, oh, that's good English here, in a dead wrong about Monday's show, but I think this is a dead wrong on the crew. On Wednesday's show, they must have done something wrong ethically to BC and given him a mild sedative because how else could he get through a full a, 30 a minutes? Or a sedative. <laughs> sedative. How else could BC get through 30 minutes of Sanhagen Yadong without ripping down the low-hanging fruit? I fully believe Luke was truly testing BC's strength as a professional by dropping such easy setups as Yadong has been thrust. He can freeze Yadong, and Yadong can deliver. You, you know, Luke. So I'm. So is is the? They're saying our crew is dead wrong ethically. I for, think that there's a lot of people who are easy laughs in this industry. That's what I think. Oh, they think that the crew drugged me so that I didn't jump at it, Luke, right? Yeah, they think that, like, how, how, when I was saying things like, oh, I could freeze your dong, you're supposed to be like, yeah. tee -hee, get it, you dong. Well, first of all, how do you know I wasn't already drugged? It just wasn't by them, okay, first of all. But second of all, Luke, um, yeah, I mean, look, it's, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're get, we got serious there in the moment. Luke, there are people. They're Luke fans, obviously. Who think like I'm such low rent for for the arc of your career and how great you are at UFC that not only should you sever the marriage now, no question about it, but that if I committed to a full time serious role on this show, that this show actually could achieve its peak of wherever the hell it's going. If I put my art aside, Luke, and focused on the real thing, could we take over the world? That's what they think. Yo, fuck them, Luke. Well, I'll just say I don't want you any other way than you are. However, if you could sign on to the morning meetings earlier than two minutes before showtime, I would be okay. happy about it. I would love that. You know, I get da it's damned if I do or damned if I don't here, Luke, depending on what people come to this show for. Maybe that's the beauty of it. The fact that half the audience hates you, Luke, and half the audience thinks like I'm a hooker that keeps showing up at your door. Um, is that really an accurate representation that half the audience hates me and half think you're a hooker showing up to my door? It sounds a little hyperbolic. So you, you, you think it's 80% of the audience or 50% of the audience loves you. 30% of the audience love hates you and always has in the beginning. And then maybe there's a couple strays that are like, I'm here for the BC art. No, art film. I definitely annoy a lot of people. Like that's just been a continuate continuous reality of my life from age one to age 43. No, that part is probably true. But, you know, how strong that is, it goes in and out. You know, I have good months with people, I have bad. And then I don't think they see you necessarily as a hooker. 
think they see you as like a less charming Chewbacca. You know, just okay, okay. just an animal making noise. Yeah. You know, yeah, a little rough on the edges. You know, didn't yeah, didn't but always down for the cause. You know what I'm saying? Always down for the cause. Like Ty Tuivasa for sure, there, uh, Luke. But uh, you know, I guess I wouldn't have this this bullshit this show we do any other way. Okay, this is what it is. The, I right? like I like you just the way you are, BC. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, that's it. But we would like you to wear shirts like this. You want this? You want this on you? We got golf shirts. We got everything. Bibs. Fanny packs. Morningcombat.store. Already the house that merch built, that RJ Dunkelcracker put together. Already fantastic. Bomber jackets flying off the shelves. But if you want a little more, right? How about 15% off anything in the store right now using Nova Scotia's own the Canadian web stream himself, Jay Paquette, has his own promo code. It's JP15, J-A-Y-P-1-5. Get 15% off today. You're going to like the way it looks on you. I guarantee it. Remember the band Cracker from the 90s? Oh, yeah. We're big white trash vibe, right? <laughs> yeah. What was their song that was the big one? Like, uh, Low? Was it the name of the song? Like being low. Yeah. Uh, so you're... Is that them? I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, what Luke Long Island Luke is saying yes in the chat. That's dude, them. Dude, I'll tell you this about Long Island Luke. Sneak in. A, that's why he's bringing that '90s bumper back up more often. Sneaky '90s music fan. Luke, he saw he saw Third Eye Blonde on that 20 year anniversary tour at Jones Beach. Luke. That's sad as shit. That's sad as shit. Okay. Uh, I mean, he's a big motorcycle drive-by fan. It's fantastic. Luke, you know where he I'm wrote, going tonight? He wrote best show ever. That's sad, bro. Do you know sad. where I'm going tonight? you any good. For the first time, Luke, in nine years, tonight, I'm going to see my favorite band live. My Morning Jacket, New Haven, Connecticut. Let's do this, Luke. You're going tonight? You're damn right I am. Who are you going with? My best friend in the world, Jeff Bogus. Bogo in the house. Buy one, get one indeed. Um, we're going we're gonna to rock this town, Luke. It'll be my, I counted, I think it's my eighth all time and his as well. So, uh, you know, or maybe it's ninth. Maybe it's my ninth. My morning jacket show. I'm trying not to be like the nerds who have like the you know ranking. Although I, you know, I may fit that de description and profile from time to time. But um, yeah, I, you clearly don't have the same passion or enthusiasm that's coursing through my veins right now, Luke. Why would you say that? Just your general default demeanor. It's more like you know. <laughs> You're like my wife. My wife. My wife's like, oh, you don't like music. I'm like, no, because we get in the car and we only have to listen to her music. And oh, I'm like, reggae no, 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 no. I like days. music. I just don't like your music. Yeah. Yo, fuck Uncle Cracker or Uncle Bunny or whatever those guys are called, Luke. Anyway, it, Cracker, was Cracker. Was cracker I, I was thinking Uncle of a cracker? different band. Cracker's decent, Luke. They're decent. I was thinking of a completely. Wasn't different Uncle band. Cracker like Kid Rocks? Like yes. sort of fat Bubba Sparks sidekick or whatever. And he did those like pop country covers, you know, and he, yeah. he kinda remember, he remember, a, remember remember Bubba Sparks? Yeah, that guy was that guy was pretty lame, Luke. I mean oh. not as Bubba not as lame as Bubba the Love Sponge letting Hulk Hogan bang his wife in a video, Luke. I mean that that's 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 pretty trashy. Yeah. That's Florida. That's Florida uh, for you. Yeah. Well that's, Mikey that's a, Mikey upset about upset about that. Luke, I'll still stand by POD as having three solid songs. I wish you would wish you would you know. They got one, Southtown. That's it. Luke, do you, does your Armenian blood force you to, to be a, a system of the down diehard? Because I, I had a moment with them or two. Yeah, you've albums. asked me this before. I, I, I like them just fine. I don't have like a you know, super affinity for them, but then I saw them in concert. I got free tickets to see them in Deftones, and they were great. 
they were great. They were really good. Yeah. All right. That's fantastic. Uh, I want to thank our great team. Thank our new sponsor here, Luke. All right. Thank them. That's right. First person. That's what I'm talking about. Combat with a K, okay? Get you 15% off your first order. Get firstperson.com. Use that promo code. Uh, do it. All right? It helps us. Let's help you out, too, as well. AG1 in the house. Luke Thomas, my co-host there. Luke, you, um, I'm going to be after the Triple G Canelo fight, hitting the fans with an MK instant reaction. I believe, is it like your anniversary or something? Yeah, it's my 10-year wedding anniversary Dude. Uh, this weekend. So I'm celebrating yes. that with my wife. Congratulations to you both. That is, dude, I, I'm serious. You get Thanks, to those mile, mile markers, you, you know you've earned it, Luke. You've earned it. I sent a picture of me and my sister and my brother to my sister and my brother yesterday from the day of our wedding because they didn't remember it was my 10-year wedding anniversary, nor would I expect them to. But, yeah, why, why would uh, they? No, no, that's fine. I didn't expect them to. So I sent them the picture of us three on our wedding day, and I wrote 10 years ago today. And both of my uh, siblings commented on their own appearance and not the picture. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they didn't comment at all. And then I was, you know, back to the future. Oh, no, no, they, they, commented, the they commented about how great they looked. And then yeah. nothing about the thing. I was like, okay. All right. And then they're like, remember we had that awesome restaurant? Luke, I wish I had a chance to eat there, you know? Closed in March of 2020, right before the pandemic really took off. Yeah. I mean, you know, typically I'd rather starve than eat your bread, Luke. But I would, um, I would eat your family's at least, you know? Yeah, me and Long Island Luke just talking to each other through the uh, through the memories of the 90s. Should so. I go so you two can have a show here on the chat of Zoom? <laughs> hey, Tui, let's bang. Uh, Luke Thomas, thank you to our crew, Mikey Morms, Gaff, Long Island Luke. Uh, this is Morning Combat. It's the best show. It's, it's, it's the only show. We out. <laughs>